Hey, Peter. Hey, Aaron. Mm -hmm. You want to get ready to start some Trek? Space, the final frontier. I think we're fully... We fully started. I think uh, we're finishing Trek. We're nearly end, end Trek. Should we change the name of the sidecast to finish Trek? <laughs> Conclusion. We are we we so yeah. We're normally we love to watch a movie podcast and we pick a theme we do over the course of the month around the theme. Uh, we've been really kind of focused on ending our own five year mission, which is true. It started five years ago, Peter. We're gonna wrap it up. We started in twenty eighteen. We're gonna wrap it up in twenty twenty three. It's our five year mission that was completely accidental. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we dragged but, this out and didn't do an episode for a year. For years, and then we and now all of a sudden we've done like I don't know, like eight episodes this year and five last year. We've been we've been focused on getting to the to the end. Not so this will wither and die, but because but so that we can maybe have a little more fun with it. We've joked about doing probably like a ten year review of the three seasons of Picard based on what it would take us. We've talked about starting to dip into more theme episodes, like here's the goofiest Star Trek episodes. Here's a bunch of guest stars that Peter would like. Here's some DS9 sampling or Voyager or Enterprise or Lower Decks or whatever else. But our the initial goal of this sidekick was that five years ago after Peter and I had done this show for two and a half years, he's like, I've never really seen a Star Trek movie and I've been a lifelong Star Trek fan. And so I was like, oh my God, I think you would really like some of these. And through that, you said you basically had never seen an episode or really paid attention to an episode of the show. Never seen any of the movies except for the first two reboot movies, Star Trek 2009 and Star Trek Into Darkness. And we're starting this final run where we went through a bunch of introductions to the original series in episode, episodic form. We did all six of the original Star Trek movies. We did a ton of Next Generation episodes because Next Generation is typically the – well, it, I think Peter is in full agreement the show is way better than the movies. So to get kind of get you ingrained in that fandom and why you like it, we watched a ton of the show, probably like 30 episodes, a few arcs, Borg arcs, stuff like that. Uh, and then the four Next Generation movies, which had extremely diminishing returns. And now we're finally in the home stretch. We're doing the three reboot, also called the Kelvin Timeline movies. Uh, we're going to do all three of those, and we may have a surprise for the fourth episode, or we may move on to whatever our next We Love to Watch month is. Who knows? Uh, but that's where we're wrapping up. So it's really fun to come full circle, Peter, because this is kind of where you began. You had never seen what I think is the best of the Kelvin movies, the three movies, which is Beyond. Mm -hmm. You didn't like Into Darkness. No. You suspected that you were going to like it even less after you saw Wrath of Khan. We'll <laughs> talk about that next week. Um, I haven't rewatched it since the theaters. I only saw it uh, now 10 years ago when it came out in 2013. Um, and you were fond of 2009. Mm -hmm. Although I think <laughs> you're going to have a differing opinion. It's not. This episode. It's not negative. I like I will almost definitely have about Into Darkness. Uh I, I do kind of wonder what this movie is for. I feel like in 2009, I knew what it was for. Mm -hmm. I feel like in 2023, 
I don't really know what the what the the purpose of this movie's existence is. I you know what's so funny, Peter, is that I actually kind of agree with you. I still had a really good time with this movie. I think I knocked it down a little bit. It's probably been a little uh, definitely since we started this all this Star Trek stuff. Um, it's I, it's been I haven't seen it, so I probably haven't seen it in five, six, seven years, something like that, and. I also have the, all the Trek stuff we've been doing has really excited me in general to kind of get back into a love that I had. So my we've done so much about my history with Star Trek, but I did fall off at some point. I didn't see Nemesis in theaters, which we talked about. I watched the first season of Enterprise. I was pretty scattered on Voyager. I watched a couple episodes here and there. In college, I finally went back and watched DS9 from beginning to end, which is just a, still an amazing series. Um, but there was even a smat. There's, you know, there was TOS episodes I had never seen. Even though I had bought all the Next Generation seasons on DVD, there was like I found out like 35 episodes I had I had never seen. Usually the ones that weren't considered uh, incredibly well liked for the most for the most, you know, from reading all the obsessive books that I had when it was harder to watch the episodes. But one thing I've been doing that I haven't really talked about on this show is kind of going back and. I've watched now every episode of the first two and a half seasons of the original series. I watched every Next Generation episode that I hadn't seen. I'm in the end of season four of Voyager, which I started at the beginning and we're kind of going through. And, um, you know, eventually my plan is to kind of do that with with Enterprise as well and then kind of fill in some of the gaps in the new show. I have seen the first three seasons of Discovery. I've not seen Strange New Worlds, which everyone raves about and I can't wait to watch. I haven't seen Picard and I've seen the first two seasons of of Lower Decks. So also, I've been reading – I read basically a 1,500-page two-book series on the oral history of Star Trek. Like, I've really been – I've really been kind of getting into – re-getting into it again as part of this kind of journey with you, Peter. And I think all of that, having watched so much Star Trek, especially in the last year, I agree with you. Like, I think that in their attempt to kind of serve two masters – which is like fans of the show, which of course are important to get to your Star Trek movie, a series known for obsessive fandom, and trying to do a full reboot after some of the failures, which we'll talk about a little in this episode. Uh, for new people, it really kind of splits the difference into something that's middling and that at the time, one of my favorite things about Star Trek 2009 was that they did try to, yesterday's Enterprise style, connect it to, like, say, we're not erasing anything. It's a, you know, there's been a there's been a good standard of alternate universes and parallel universes in Star Trek. This situation creates an alternate universe. We're going to call it the Kelvin Timeline. All your adventures still happen. Don't worry that you can you can like guilt free enjoy that. Which, as a lifelong Star Trek fan, Peter, I loved in two in two thousand nine. I was like, this is the perfect way to do this. In twenty twenty three, I'm like, you should have just who cares, you yeah. fucking nerds. Yeah. Like, just do a reboot and don't try to connect it to the original series. I think. Especially with where it ends up going and into darkness before it pulls back for a really good kind of finale of the trilogy, you, you are you are making a weaker product in both ends. You're not you're not really letting these characters exist. You're trying to get them to all these places that you feel like they need to go in the first movie, 
and you are I, I also I watched this with my daughter who mm-hmm. hasn't watched any Star Trek with me my oldest daughter who's nine she didn't know what the fuck like this <laughs> this was the most conf- like this idea of like hey for new people this will be easier to watch when I saw Star Trek 6 in theaters when I was seven and had only seen a little bit of Star Trek at the point I had less questions about what was going on and I only had seen Star Trek 6 basically than I think my nine year old had seeing this movie she like and and even me trying to explain at some point was just like i where do i even begin so (laughs) i i think it fails as a introduction for new people ultimately and i and 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 by trying to serve the old fans it it fails a little bit that i still have a really good time with this movie but it does not it does not hit the same they did it they made a good star trek movie that I think that most people needed in 2009 after fucking Enterprise yeah. and Nemesis and all these other things. So, I, Peter, I think it's a great way to start because this is a movie for 2009 in a world where we have a bunch of really good Star Trek again. That's kind of a race <laughs> yeah. to Kelvin timeline. And with it's new set of characters and a new yeah. set of people that are – um, tackling Star Star Trek from a new perspective, yeah. new set of writers Mostly. that have different missions. Um, so, like the the mission of you know below decks is very different from the mission lower of card lower decks. Yeah. Uh, the low deck is the yacht show, which I believe yeah. is unrelated to the Star Trek timeline. Yeah, I believe that it it's, it's part of the Kel- hold on. It is part of the Kelvin timeline. <laughs> I mean, it probably happened, but yeah. um, it's just, I'm, I'm not sure. It, it, was just, it just didn't affect much. It just didn't have much of that that that, <laughs> yeah. um, that there were... Canonically, of, it happened. That there were some yachties on a boat that had sex with yeah. each other didn't ultimately affect, like... It's possible the, the eugenics Romulan wars war. in the 90s <laughs> did impact the state of reality television in the Star Trek yeah. universe. It's impossible to say. I think we can agree that Below Deck still happened, yes. even with... The 90s World War Three and eugenics wars. That's yes. all I would say. And, um, you know, a lot of historians talk about how uh, history uh, operates in cycles. And yeah. what I humbly suggest <laughs> is that the, the attempts at a Romulan uh, Klingon unification mm-hmm. are very similar to the aborted attempts to have sex on the boat very often yeah. between crew members. <laughs> To be clear, no one wanted the Romans and the Klingons to unify. Yeah. Just, and, and, I, listen, and yeah. You yeah, watch but there two was a parts lot of Romulan you, ale involved, you know. Yeah. Um, they don't They don't like each other at all. Like, the, <laughs> it feels like a big mission that you're <laughs> So, okay. Yeah. So, I'm going to do it again. But under deck? Lower decks. Lower deck. I knew, I was I was eventually. Lower decks is a t- is a ton of fun. I but mean, but you're right. That, like, like the mission of lower decks is different than the mission of, from Picard, which is different than the mission of uh, Brave Strange New World, World Strange or New Discovery. World. Yeah, and, and like they're all they all kind of have maybe maybe not completely different missions, but they all have different missions. They're all kind of set out to do to capture different mm-hmm. parts of the the fandom's interest. And uh, I don't like to be one of those people. Like, what what is this uh, that tries to view art as a and a um, a functional piece. I'm like, what is this doing that nothing else is doing? Like, art can justify itself, even stupid popcorn art uh, made yeah. by J.J. Abrams, right? <laughs> um, my per- my point is, what is when I'm watching it, I get a little tinkle 
a little twinkle in my eye at, at various points because I'm like, that was really good casting. Or actually, it's, and that was a pretty cool, it was a pretty cool way to, you know, modernize the Star Trek yeah. space fight. Or, and that was a pretty clever little line reading. Or, you know, there's little moments that I, I, I find, you know, little, little <coughs> trinkets of joy in it. But I'm watching it and I'm like, so they weren't trying to start up a new TV series. They're not trying to capture the, you know, ethical dilemmas of the original show. They weren't really trying to, like, reintroduce people to the old show, it doesn't seem like. It seems like they yeah. were just basically commodifying, like adventure. Yeah. commodifying the old I- iconographic pieces and putting them on, on display in a way that, like... <clears throat> okay, so, like, in this window... Mm-hmm. I personally, and a lot of people, I think, were still very positive on J.J. Abrams or modestly positive. That I was about to say, like, you can't talk about the way it feels to watch this in 2023. J.J. Abrams, I don't lost. I don't think was even over yet. So like us losty heads were like, this is going to go somewhere. Um, I think I liked Mission Impossible 3. It felt like a huge improvement at the time. Mission Mission Impossible 2. Philip Seymour Hoffman has a great performance. Um, you know, he, he was like, I don't think he's made Super 8 yet, which I think got a lot of like, oh, he's doing cool Spielberg stuff again. 2011 maybe? I, yeah, I think that might be 2011. But this, this felt like an incredible gap for a Star Trek movie. I can't think of a director that's aged worse. <laughs> also, Cloverfield came out, which was like. I loved Cloverfield. He had the mystery box marketing thing. It just felt like he was like another person who's aged like milk from the era Josh Whedon. Like these fucking new young guys coming in and rewriting the rules of Hollywood and making these amazing TV shows. And like not only have most of their TV shows, I'll give Buffy and Angel still a lot of credit. And he wasn't the only, there's a lot of really good talent. Uh, but no one talks about Lost. Lost ended terribly. <laughs> like, everyone kind of, like, even, like, people that were, like, that everyone who came out of Lost okay had a redemption art. Like, Damon Lindelof is, like, people like, okay, Leftovers was good. You finally now made me excited for what you're doing. Like, Lost became, like, a fucking lodestone around all these people's <laughs> necks because it, it, it was so terrible at the end. Um... But yeah, uh, like JJ Abrams, I was yeah. I was relatively pretty positive on. Him I was at the very time. positive at the time. I really liked Super Eight. Loved Cloverfield. I, I I need to rewatch Super Eight. I remember really liking that movie. Um, I've been trying to convince Maya to watch it. It's a great summer. It's, it's Spielberg. Seem, yeah, it seems like she'd like. Yeah. It. But like the weird thing about JJ Abrams is that like I think that his bad instincts here were really well. Uh, I think that his bad instincts here were actually very wise for Force Awakens. And yes, but they're not disastrous here. This is still a fun movie. I don't think that they, I don't think that they, um, wholly, uh, botch the idea of getting me excited about Star Trek. I didn't really like this movie very much, but when it's over, I got this little tinge and I forgot Star Trek into darkness existed. And I was like, now that this crew got all that shoe leather out of the way, all the space shoe leather out of the way, I want to see them go do something now. And then I just, in my head, I forgot Into Darkness existed. You you will, and 
that's essentially what Star Trek Beyond is. So you will get there. I think we're ending on a very positive note, and I hope you'll end up liking that movie. Yeah. I don't want to talk but about I, I don't want to talk about Star Wars uh Rise of Skywalker too much tonight. But mm-hmm. I think that is where his instincts just completely t- turned. He doesn't themselves. even have another movie. I remember someone saying like he doesn't even have another movie he's working on. He did that giant DC deal with HBO that like they paid him thirty million dollars for him to do nothing. Like no one wants him around yeah. anymore. Like talk about and but I think that's how people felt after Into Darkness. Then he had that like okay he's doing he always wanted to do a Star Wars. So let's start there. We're going to talk about unification a little bit, which is. Actually, the last – one of the things we've been doing throughout the series, as you likely know, is we've been pairing these movies with episodes for the show. I think we've come full circle enough that there's nothing I'm going to show you for Into Darkness. I guess I'd show you Space Seed and Wrath of Khan again, which would probably be worth <laughs> rewatching over Into Darkness. But, like, there's, and beyond is, like, here's a typical Star Trek adventure. Um, but you've seen that. So I don't think we need to go back and do any more. We're just going to do the movies for the next two episodes. But unification is a very important part of this plot, which is also something I liked as a Star Trek nerd. Peter watched it. I rewatched it. We're going to talk about it. Also something with a little bit of a complicated legacy in that most people don't like it anymore. <laughs> um, but we're even if it was one of the most watched um, episodes of all time. I assumed uh, this was. I assumed this was very positive, but never, never mind. Well, 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 I'll talk about why that is. But I want. We're already talking about this. Let's talk about why this movie got made, and then we'll circle back to unification and the plot of this. So, we talked about Star Trek Nemesis, Star Trek: The Next Generation. Uh, it's just a disaster. After like the '90s explosion of we're doing Voyager and Deep Space Nine and Star Trek Generation and uh, the Next Generation is, is is going to films and we're like there was a point where like you know they talk about like you know fucking Patrick Stewart and William Shatner were on the cover of Time magazine like in 1994. It was just huge. You know, the last season of The Next Generation gets nominated for an Emmy. The finale gets watched by like 40 million people. Like. For be- it gets nominated for best series, like it is, it you know, it is just this kind of juggernaut of Star Trek, and like anything that's a juggernaut, they kind of stopped having any passion for making things, with the exception of like Deep Space Nine, which had an amazing writing group and a very strong vision with a lot of freedom, as everyone kind of forgot about it to focus on Voyager and the rest of the movies with Ira Stephen Bear, and they start doing Voyager, which I can tell you, as someone who now is. Four seasons in through Voyager. Voyager has no perspective, no voice, no idea what to do with anyone. There is a few good episodes, but even if you look through, like, the history, the people like Brandon uh, Braga, who has some very good contributions to The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, is like, he's, he's you know, on the, on the oral history, he's like, I'm running out of steam, I'm running out of interest in this. They keep passing it off to Jerry Taylor, who is kind of known as someone who was the showrunner for Star Trek The Next Generation uh, Season 7, which was seen as a big step down from um, Seasons 3 through through 6. And and they're trying to, like, focus on, you know, these, these movies, which after First Contract, they're giving it to Michael Piller. No one likes the story. Like, no one knows what to do with any of this stuff. Patrick Stewart is, like, starting to make more demands. What's what? One of the most interesting things I told you about this, Peter, in the oral history is, like, it's surprising who comes out looking positive and who comes out looking negative. Some were 
I was I was expecting. Like I knew Roddenberry had a lot of baggage. I did not realize the extent of what an asshole that man was, <laughs> especially later in his life. Um, I expected William Shatner to come off like shit. He doesn't at all. Uh, I was actually impressed with how well William Shatner comes off. Who comes one of the most surprising of like I comes off like a piece of shit is is Patrick Stewart. Like Patrick Stewart, um, who who has since given a lot of interviews about what a uh, too serious person he was, and like he didn't took him a lot. Like he basically says, "I, I was young," which I think for him meant like forty five. <laughs> but I was young. I was brash. I didn't. I wanted to do my work and I wanted to go home. I wasn't a particular – like, he he used to give people notes every single season of that he didn't like that his character was talked too much and he wanted to do his, – his exact quote that he used to tell every new writer was, please let me fucking fight more. That was like – so if you – it was so funny we talk about the movies not really getting Picard's character. Well, Patrick Stewart didn't really get Picard's character for a long time. And one of his thing with the movies is that, like, I need to punch more people and I need to have sex with more women. And if I'm going to do these movies, I'm going to be an action adventure star. So, like, one thing I didn't realize when we talked about Nemesis and some of the other things that, like, it kind of was coming apart by the seams because no one, everyone just was like, we need to produce a Star Trek movie. No one quite knew what to do. And you have the stars and the people just being less and less interested. You know, Brett Spiner kept please kill me off. I don't want to be in these movies anymore. Patrick Stewart's like, let me punch more people. Like everything's kind of punched his head off. <laughs> yeah. Enterprise comes Compromise. out. Compromise. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll give a serious speech about punching data's head off. <laughs> um, <laughs> Enterprise comes out and it's like this idea of Enterprise when it came out was in 2001 after Voyager's done. It's now the only Star Trek series on the, on the air was this idea of we have everyone sick of all this shit. We need to get back to basics. Let's open ourselves up to having a lot of freedom within the canon to kind of just do our own thing. And instead they do all the same, the worst recycled shit for the first three seasons, right? It's like goes to a planet, meets a guy, that guy, like this idea of a frontier without a federation, this idea of being able to finally like scrub away the canon and do the whole thing, which was the point of that show, everyone loses the thread and interest really quickly. Now, I'm intrigued. It sounds like in season four, which was the last season before it was canceled, they the showrunner's like, hey, you know what everyone wants to see? Star Trek shit. Maybe let us do Star Trek shit for the last year. And it sounds like the fourth season is kind of worth watching because it's fan servicey, but it's a ton of fun. But it's a disaster. They cancel it. And now there's no more Star Trek. And almost immediately, though, Paramount is understandably saying we should do more Star Trek, but maybe do one that people like this time, which we haven't really done successfully in probably, ten, you know, to give or take five or ten years at that point. And there was always this idea after Star Trek V, actually, was to do this idea of the Academy years. Um, Shatner and Nimoy weren't sure if they were going to come back for the sixth one at the time. 
they uh, also people are like, are they too old for this? Star Trek V was a was somewhat of a disaster. So Harv Bennett, who had kind of shepherded the movies from two, three, four, and five, and kind of ran them more like a TV show because he had been a TV producer, he was really pitching, "Fuck these guys! We're going to do a beginning with Spock telling a campfire story and an ending with Shatner telling this is what I used to be, and we're just going to." Do a story of them meeting and being friends at the Academy. No Enterprise, most of the other crew, not necessarily in it, all that kind of stuff. And eventually, Roddenberry was 100% against this idea. This this whole thing is kind of like things Roddenberry was against. Because he also was very much against having uh, original series uh, characters in... I remember in, you said that. In, uh, in, I remember uh, you said that. And there's a dedication in one of these episodes. Uh, yeah, while, while they throw up his name constantly because he had just died, which feels like they're rubbing it in. But you know what? Fuck Roddenberry. He deserved it. So anyway, well, so... Now that he's dead, let's honor him by doing the thing he By doing the thing he fought against horribly. Um, <laughs> so they kind of get back to that idea. And at first, they're kind of like, let's go do... Let's go do type... Like, Kirk's dad. Let's... Fuck... Like, Enterprise didn't get us to where we needed. But the concept of saying, let's... Let's not have the baggage of the Dominion War and Voyager and everything that's going on in the 24th century. Let's do – let's go a little bit earlier. And there was this, this script that apparently people still say is really good called Star Trek The Beginning, which was going to be a trilogy of a true like the, the a Federation ship uh, piloted by uh, Tiberius Kirk, his dad. And, like, there's a trilogy of, like, they get lost on the frontier, a middle part of the trilogy of, like, them struggling to get home or really, like – is this complete story and then this like big, you know, epic conclusion. And so they started kind of working on that. And eventually everyone went unsurprisingly to the studios like, now nah, we need Kirk and we need all these other people. And so they, you know, uh, specifically uh, Kurtz, uh, Alex Kurtzman, Robert Orkey and Damon Lindelof <laughs> were lifelong Star Trek fans. <laughs> two, the first two, the ha- first two, the happiest screenwriters in Hollywood history. Huh. And then yeah. uh, the uh, the third one, Damon Lindelof, somehow has produced what is one of my favorite shows of all time. And actually, like, I think actually produces good stuff now. I haven't seen his most recent show, but I know people are really positive on it. But yeah, they were the big fan. Orky and Kurtzman specifically. And they were like... Hey, we're gonna do this pitch to kind of do what they're talking about, but we're gonna we're gonna do it in this cool way, this cool cast. And Abrams is actually the one that he basically joined as a fit. You know, they're they're all part of Bad Robot at this time. They're all <laughs> friends. Abrams was like, I don't like Star Trek, <laughs> which didn't come out until well after this, by the way. Like, because they were like, I I got was a new fan, but like, especially the oral history and other things. He's like, I didn't like Star Trek. I'd never really seen Star Trek. Um, and he's like, but my friends really wanted to do it. And I'm like, well, maybe I'm the right person to do a reboot because I don't care about any of this. And so, like, you know, the thing I will say is, like, I agree that Orky and Kurtzman are hacks. And as Lindelof <laughs> left for... <laughs> and we'll talk about next week. That's I know. Trek Into Darkness is a 9-11 movie. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's fucking... Like... They are... Just because you're a fan of something doesn't mean that you should... You should be the people that produce it. And like all of their mystery box bullshit surprise stuff just tears everything apart, especially in the second movie. But I do think they were like, again, 
They were focused, I think, somewhat on the right things. They're like, if we're going to do Spock, let's not do him introducing a campfire story of when I was young. Let's figure out a way to include him. And they were huge fans of Yesterday's Enterprise, an episode that you've seen where it's like someone comes back, changes it. It's a new reality then. And so how can we, again, do that thing where it's like even though Star Trek sucks and no one likes Star Trek anymore – If we don't buy in this idea of we're not erasing 30 years of everything you like, Star Trek fans aren't going to aren't going to go see it. So how do we like thread that needle? And they, you know, they kind of took an approach of like of of fans of the show where it's like, well, we can do alternate timelines. We can do parallel timelines. I think in 2009, there's some you can say that's somewhat of a of a good instinct. I think the part that they really like, which I think is the Abrams grouping of this time era, is like, but we need all of it. Like, the thing about the concept of the Academy years was that there's no Enterprise. We're going to meet them when they're young, but it doesn't make sense for him to be on the Enterprise. We actually know there was a different guy. We never watched the one thing that I could say, oh, maybe we should have watched the original series. Um, was uh you, you know Peter there was original pilot and then they scrapped that pilot with a whole Spock was the only person uh, it was a guy named Captain Pike who ends up showing up in the series proper uh, and is actually like uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds I don't know if you know this is based on Captain Pike Captain Pike is like oh, there's a, a Spock idea. in it yeah and it's supposed to be a ton of fun because it takes that kind of same effort but there that was the idea that like we're not going to do Enterprise we're not going to do Star Trek. And we're definitely not going to make, like, if it's the Academy years, Kirk isn't the captain. And I think the area that they really kind of fuck up here that kind of weighs down everything, even if the casting is the best part of this movie, the cast is amazing. Um, Every single one of them, I think, does a fantastic job. Chris Pine, especially, which kind of had an impossible task. We'll talk about that. <laughs> the script is not that helpful, actually. <laughs> well, well, yeah. I mean, that that I think is the problem that they are like. Well, we can't just we can't just do a prequel. We can't just do a Academy Years because all seven of these people won't be together, and we need all seven of them together, and we need Kirk. To both be in the Academy and have his early years, but somehow at the end of it be the captain of the Enterprise. And I think that, like, they do the same mistake that I think Enterprise does, which is they try to remove established canon as a way to free themselves up to tell new stories, but then felt boxed in by the established can to go like, well, we can't meet the Romulans yet in Enterprise because they didn't know them in Star Trek, the originals. Like, they still felt boxed in by everything that was going to come after to really tell original, exciting stories. And so just told shitty, you know, Planet of the Week, worst of the worst Star Trek stories and here you have the same thing this idea of wiping away the timeline in one fell swoop instead doesn't really inspire them to tell a new story it's instead okay so now we've wiped away how all of these people end up on the enterprise together because we've changed everything how do we get all these people on the enterprise together like it doesn't make any sense and them needing to go from point a which they've cleared the board to get everyone back in the exact same spot is the mistake 
that's 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 over this entire movie and then the next movie I would say as well. Yeah, yeah. The the movie absolutely feels overstuffed, but it's also using this sort of like douchey shorthand where it's kind of jabbing you in the ribs, like, uh, you know what we're referencing, right? You know what we're referencing, right? Which I obviously find incredibly annoying. Um, Because it's one of those things that is... probably helped you that you didn't know what they were referencing before. It did. (laughs) You didn't know what the Kobayashi Maru was. It did. What were we talking about where, like, me not knowing the references actually... Oh, it was... uh, I played Dark Souls 3 before I played Dark Souls 1. Oh, yeah. So, me not knowing all the weird callbacks to Dark Souls 1 and being, like... And all the weird character connections where you're like, why are you doing fan service in a Dark Souls game? Like, all of that uh, actually didn't bother me on first glance. Like, I had other problems with the game. um, Because I didn't hadn't played Dark Souls 1 yet. I I, I didn't know what the fuck was going on. But coming back around and playing it some more, I'm like, ugh, why are you... Why are you... (laughs) Why, why are you attempting to please me in this manner? Why are you mm. just saying, you know, that thing you like? Here's thing you like. Yeah. Um, which is a, a it's a it's an impulse that I think, you know, J.J. Abrams clearly wanted to make a Star Wars movie. This is more a Star Wars movie than a Star Trek movie. Um, yeah. His, and his really quickly on that, his excuse was that these are the stories they always wanted to tell because they didn't have a budget. They had to focus more on like talking. And I like that. That's what he said. He's like, they always wanted to do these space adventures, but they didn't have the budget. So we're doing what they always wanted to do, which I think is uh, really again. I didn't know all this when he directed this in 2009. And like you like you said, I was fully on board with J.J. Abrams as a director. A new voice in Hollywood is this like master architect of these things and now it just seems like you're an idiot dude. yeah that's that's <laughs> like deeply irritating um yeah it's also it's also deeply irritating for someone who could in one in one interview say um i didn't really like star trek and then which is fine actually i think outsider perspectives should be allowed to play with these franchises i think like marvel stuff is pro- would probably be more interesting if they let like mm. hey here's a toolbox of stuff you can play with i don't care if you give a shit about ant-man just like make an interesting uh, product with these things but instead they always have this grasp on it this tight grasp yeah. where it's like the, you can't actually get away from the services of the the producer's uh script and in yeah. this like i'm not actually saying that you can't create uh interesting franchise art if you don't give a shit about the the thing that much for instance we talked a lot about in the blade a couple summers ago Blade as a movie doesn't seem to give much of a shit about the comic book at all. Oh, uh, um, hey, you know what? You know what the best example is? Fucking Wrath of Khan. Like <laughs> Nicholas Meyer had never watched the show yeah. and didn't think of himself as a big fan. He watched all these episodes. He goes, "Here's an interesting story I can tell with these characters." He like he at least was like, "I don't care about the continuity. What can I tell that would be interesting in yeah. this area?" And like he found something within it that would be interesting to expand on and tell. He did the same thing when he helped. Uh, some of the script for Star Trek Four when they brought him back for Star Trek Six, like that is a person who to this day does not consider himself a big Star Trek yeah. 
fan who made amazing the three best star trek movies <laughs> like yeah. and i don't and i don't actually so i don't actually care that much if the person has a a, yeah. a, a um, devoted love for the series because fan fans have been making bad star trek stories for a long time and it's yeah. they, they can dedicate their entire lives to it yeah. get cameos from the actual core cast members and it's still <laughs> kind of unwatchable garbage um I, I don't care about any of that. I also don't have much respect for fans, especially in the post Star Wars, uh, post Last Jedi world, um, where well, and um, Marvel and DC shit, where the, where you have these Snyder cut and people are getting their their they're getting shit like served to them on a platter, and then they're like, "It's not a gold platter." Like, is that a girl? <laughs> yes, <laughs> a girl server brought it out. What Great girl so touched my food. Yeah. So um, girls wouldn't have sex with me in high school, and now they got to be in movies I want to watch. <laughs> what is this world coming to? And I, I honestly, it's, it's, it's. I, I find myself. What's in an next? A black posi- James Bond, Peter? <laughs> I find myself but in I'm an what? awkward <laughs> position with J.J. Abrams. Yeah, where I both like want him. I like. I both like want to say, hey, maybe you should give a give a shit about the thing you're working on. But I also want to tell the fans, like, you actually don't know what's good for you. Like, fans very often don't know what they actually want. And this attempt to just capture these surface elements and capture these big, big resounding, you know, um, plot points and these big resounding character sort of quirks um, and just say, hey, you guys like all this stuff, right? You like all this stuff, right? Is in a different way, like, just as offensive to me. Um, and into my sensibilities, I should say, not offensive to my ethical character, offensive to my sensibilities. And so this yeah. movie, while I, I find it's an enjoyable ride, I'm going to say lots of nice things about it. Like, yeah. I did not enjoy watching large swaths of it because of that jab you in the ribs. Like, hey, yeah, hey, it's, we're it's giving really you the bad. thing you want. We're giving you the thing you want. It's like, no, I actually, the fun thing about the next generation that I watched when I watched uh, Next Generation this applies to... Um, unification is that I was like I didn't know the cast that well I wasn't that comfortable mm-hmm. with them and then they made me believe that they were telling a story worth telling with a cast that a captain is very different than Kirk Spock is di- very different than uh, Data um, you know like a lot of members of the cast are very different the 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 approach to um, how they speak about like modern politics through that scope is very different, and it yeah. the sh- the show isn't candy colored and beautiful the way that like the original uh, series is. Like, yeah, the show had to do the the shoe leather work of convincing me that it was good. Mm. It didn't just say, "Hey, hey, do you remember? Do you remember that one episode where Kirk said that thing and then he had sex with that woman with blue skin or whatever? Like, do you remember <laughs> that? Let's do that again." Yeah. He loves green-skinned women. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's his favorite. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think that's oh, right. There's actually, it's <laughs> actually, like, in this, in, in the Star Trek canon, this idea that, like, you need people that are respectful. You have good examples of that. Ronald Moore, probably the best Star Trek writer of, like, individual episodes and stuff like that. Um, 
he was a Star Trek obsessive who got a job on the show and started writing. But he was like, I've always wanted to see this. I've always wanted to see this. And he was good at it. Like, you can have people that care about Star Trek that make good Star Trek or any fan thing. There's there's great examples of that. Fucking Sam Raimi loved Spider-Man to death and he made fucking amazing Spider-Man movies yeah. or at least two and a half amazing Spider-Man movies. You don't necessarily um, have to have an outside perspective. You just have to have a perspective. Well, I think that's the key. So, like, if you look at that, you have Nicholas Myers who – he kind of did the whole like, hey, I am going to learn about all this and then I can focus on the story that I want to tell with these pieces. So, like, he did do some like, hey, you know how Shatner's young, cool and hot? What if we make a movie about him fucking getting so old and losing everything that matters to him and wondering what he's here for? Like, he's like, that would be an interesting story to tell about this person 15 years removed. Like, and here's someone who can reflect that back at him. He's, again, he's not saying, I don't care about Star Trek. He's saying, I don't really care about, I'm not a fan, but this would be an interesting story to tell with these, with that, with that toy set. You have Stuart Baird, who kind of did the opposite, who made Star Trek Nemesis. They brought in an outside guy. He's like, not only do I not care about Star Trek, I don't care to learn. I want to make a big budget movie so I can go make other movies. And he's doing it with like established characters that when that we when we talked about that, that he just doesn't care. I think Abrams' approach is so like it's 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 obviously not the the Meyer approach and it's not as bad as the Baird approach it is the I'm going to learn a lot about it I'm going to learn a lot about it from Orky and Kurtzman and Lindelof and these people that really like it I'm going to learn about it by watching a bunch of episodes that they recommend but I have no perspective whatsoever I just want to include cool Star Trek shit and I think you're 100% right it's like it's like and I need to include all these things that people like. I'm going to have green women. I'm going to have the Kobayashi Maru. I'm going to have Pike. I'm going to have Enterprise. I'm going to have. I'm going to have like this reference and that reference. People are going to go, oh, this is a cool thing I haven't seen before. And Spock's going to come back, and we're going to talk about this. Like it's 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 all reference points without really like a story. And like instead of freeing him up to tell a story, like I'm going to. I don't care if Kirk is considered cool. I want to tell a story about him getting old and losing all that coolness and losing the brash young cowboy captain. Uh, even if that's not what fans were expecting at the time, I want to kill Spock because that will give him something to recognize ownership. He's like, what if I eventually just tell the exact same story with reference points and cool shiny fights and special effects and spaceships going fast? And it's like, you know, the the one thing about, I think, even Force Awakens, which is a movie I like more than this movie, is that I, like, the problem is, is, like, when you start, especially in Rise of Skywalker and Into Darkness do not help this, when you see the seams that he works in, you just find him an, inc- even, like, I think probably if I went back to Super 8, you just find him, like, an incredibly uninteresting filmmaker and that he just doesn't have anything to say. Like, I like Force Awakens. It's cool that he brought back practical effects and he had like, we're going to tell this new story. But you can also watch it through the lens of him going, I like this and I like this and I'm going to do this and mm-hmm. I like this and I like this. And that's why when he had to wrap <laughs> up that story of here's some things I like, it was shitty because it's like he's just bringing other new stuff back. Yeah. Like Palpatine's back and here's this guy and here's Lando and here's this. He doesn't – he's like, we'll find the special knife that implants into the old Death Star. Like you're just you're, – you're just – doing nothing you're writing yeah. like you're and writing I, like a map in a game you're not like telling a story and i yeah. I, I think that that is the big problem with this movie is yeah. that like 
he had all the freedom in the world because of the fact that no one cared about Star Trek. He was a hot young director and had a great cast. And he told just kind of an incredibly uninteresting over the plate story that is only designed to go. We blew up everything to rebuild it in the exact same shape. Yeah. So, okay. So what I'll say here is that I think the reason the Star Trek 2009 movie I didn't particularly like. Yeah. Um, it's fun to watch, but, you know, it's not particularly like my cup of tea. There's some good moments in it. It really does make me like Star Trek more, though, when I'm watching mm. it. And not just that the, you know, it's reminding me of these characters I love and, like, the little character moments, but it's reminding me in a two-hour movie how ephemeral and hard to capture good trek is Mm -hmm. that good trek is ultimately (laughs) abrams is wrong good trek is ultimately it's it's these hard things these these complex relationships where you meet a guy with a weird face and you're like i don't like that particular face makeup he's weird looking and then six episodes later you're almost on the verge of tears because he's getting married or whatever like that that is that like that the fundamental character of these these shows that I like, especially with you kind of taking me on a curated tour, yeah, is it's good character writing. It's about it's about t- yeah. talking about complex social issues in a way that like you know is ultimately closer to community theater than it is spectacle filmmaking. And it's something that we we've, we've we've you know keep running up against over and over and over again with the original series movies, which is like what. What is Star Trek? What is Star Trek? Why are the movies not nailing this? Why is the show seem to nail something that the movies don't? Why are the movies nailing something that the show was actually failing to nail by this season? Like, yeah. the, the, the sort of handoff. And I'm not saying... And now I actually don't think the movies are incapable... In a two-hour story, two-hour film, I don't think you're incapable of telling a good Star Trek movie. Yeah. I don't believe that. I do, however, think that, like, the thing that makes Star Trek interesting is it is ephemeral. It is weird. It's harder to yeah. capture. It's, it, it's, it's more, it, it, it's, it's, it's more about, like, character-based storytelling. Whereas, I think Star Wars, and I like The Force Awakens. Uh, I'm not in love with it the way I am with, like, with Last Jedi. Um, yeah. The Force Awakens is ultimately a movie about vibes, <laughs> And aesthetics. Well, it's, and it's, all those practical. It's, it's based on. It's it's going back to the we're going to tell a like serial adventure. Yeah, right? where you have to get from point A to point B to point C. That works in a setup of bringing all these people back and introducing new characters. It's why it was terrible in a wrap up. Yeah, where it's like you're still introducing new shit. No one like wrap yeah. up your other shit, bud. Yeah. Like exactly. Um, but Please but it does your... it, it does work. Yeah, yeah. Finish your dinner before you get to the dessert, right? Um, like. I also don't want, like, whereas, like, um, <laughs> I'm going to just botch this stupid, I hate using food metaphors for art, but, and, like, by the time you get to Rise of Skywalker, it's, like, you're about to put a burrito piece in your mouth and see if it's, like, a, a burrito in your mouth and see if it's a good burrito, and they yank it away from you, and they're, like, actually, we have about 20 more minutes of you eating salad, <laughs> and you're, like, mm, I was about to have a really nice burrito, though. 
Okay, yeah. but after the salad, I'm going to get the burrito, right? And you're like, maybe. And then you finally get to bite in the burrito and it's full of feces. Um, so <laughs> that's, the, like, that's the next movie. <laughs> I, I actually think the like, better analogy. Hold on. I think the better analogy that I've been thinking of a lot, which works better than whatever that was. That to be. <laughs> Food analogies are, are tough with art, you know? It, but, it, but it is like, you know, I like 15 years ago, I went and saw Rain, which was a Beatles cover band, right? They put on the Beatles costumes. They sang Beatles songs all night. They kind of sounded like Beatles. It was an okay time. I had a few drinks. I went with a few friends. It was fine. Like, I, that is what I feel like I saw, especially now, removed from, like, what this movie needed to be in 2009 versus what is it in 2023. Like, I didn't see the Beatles. I'm not going to go download the Rain album so I can listen to their cover versions of much better songs. Like, did I have an okay time? Yeah. Do, do do they have any meaningful contribution to the art of the Beatles besides n- learning how to play their songs? Absolutely not. Like <laughs> they are, they exist for the two hours I watch it, and it has no meaning beyond that. And yeah, it was cool to you know. I'm never gonna see the Beatles, right? Like I'm never gonna see a new Star Trek original series episode. So Chris Pine does a pretty good Paul McCartney or whatever you want to fucking <laughs> use for 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 uh, for an extended analogy. But like at the end of the day, there is, is the a John Waters. No, I, I mean Spock is definitely the John. No, because Paul John McCartney Lennon. is the guy who's like that has the songwriting chops. He has the technical knowledge. He comes in and he like he. D- I mean, he's not John Lennon. There's no you got to you got to think of something new. But John I mean, Lennon is the McCoy, one who McCoy is definitely George Harrison. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And but, Ringo's everyone else. But jo- but I I think maybe. Kirk is John Lennon in that he is a um, he's like a, a wild improviser who does no pre prep and he just comes in and then somehow magic comes out. Whereas Paul McCartney I mean, is the guy who stayed Paul- up all night studying and and he stayed up all he spent the entire weekend trying to get a chord progression down and like he put in all this the movie work. specifically who is more likely to beat women? I think it's Spock. He gets very <laughs> angry and punchy. So I think that makes him the John Lennon. Oh, uh, uh, look it up! Ringo. Great guy. Yeah, well, Ringo's just everyone else. <laughs> Everybody's a little Ringo. Every, everyone else is a little bit is a little bit Ringo. But yeah, like that—that that is at the end of the day. Like, yeah, it was fun. It doesn't like the. I don't mean. I actually, I like this movie. I think more than Peter. I'd watch this again. Um, but I, in the same way, I'd go to a rain show if it'd be fun to take my kids to it or something. But it doesn't matter. Like, this movie doesn't matter. Exactly. It fundamentally doesn't matter. In the same way that Rain doesn't matter to the Beatles' legacy, these movies, like, just don't matter if you like Star Trek. And Star Trek Beyond, I think, is a great fucking time at the movies. Like, Peter, I think you're going to like that one. Justin Lin directs it. They get rid of all these nonsense people that J.J. Abrams has has around. Um, They have a great villain. It's a ton of fun. But, like... Even Star Trek, which I think did need this movie in 2009 to be where we're at today, recognized that these movies don't matter because one of the biggest surprises when Discovery came out, which was the first Star Trek series since Enterprise, people expected it to be set in the Kelvin timeline. Like, like old Star Trek is done. Like, we're going to go to the Kelvin timeline, start telling stories there. And it wasn't. The Kelvin timeline is forgotten. Everything is back to Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks, Discovery, 
Picard, obviously, all basically goes away from these three movies and is back into, like, continuity and has, has, has basically – I know there's, like, some people have some problems with where Discovery goes, even though I, I quite like that show. And I know the first two seasons of Picard, I, people were like, man, this is – they people love the third season, but the, sec, the first two seasons, I feel like, got a little bit of, like – they're trying to tell, like – 2020 era storytelling in Star Trek and it doesn't work as well with these with this cast but like they they forgot it too so like the thing about these three movies is love them hate them have an indifference they don't matter because once we leave these three movies we go right back to where we left off in 2005 when everyone was like Star Trek's done we need to scrap it and start over and I I do think that is that is an interesting part of like the power of Star Trek like these these movies, which seem like this is going to be Star Trek from now on, fizzled, popped. They couldn't even get a fourth one made. And everyone scrapped all this and went back to the Star Trek that everyone likes. And I, I think that's – like that's that's adorable. Adorable yeah. is not the right word. But I, I love that. Like there is something about like you can't – this Star Trek is too big and powerful and it has – like you said, you can't capture that magic of – the relationships that were built and these characters we've seen age and the philosophy that exists between the original series to Deep Space Nine, even when the philosophy is done poorly, yeah. you can't reduce that to Kirk, Spock, and a few action scenes and think it's Star Trek, and yeah. it's not. Yeah, and, and and like I said to, like, <clears throat> the about Star Wars, like, I ultimately think, like, Star Wars, like, it has no inherent thematic, like, heft. Right. Star yep. Wars is about essentially um, it's about aesthetics primarily. Yeah. And I'm not saying that to knock Star Wars because nope. it has great aesthetics. The aesthetics are so good that like when they do a, a, a you know, budget cheapo version in some of the TV shows, I'm like, oh, I love it. Is that an egg carton on the wall? Like I get I get I, I love it. Um, and I mean, the uh, theme of Star Wars is if you get angry you could be a bad guy too (laughs) (laughs) exactly it's it's about it's basically like you should the the story is the moral of the story is you should be a hero heroes do good things yeah and don't do bad things and even just kind of like being angry one day and thinking like a villain you could be a bad guy from then on on so be a good guy don't be i mean that's like i love star wars too but like Uh, it's not more complicated it's not more complicated than that i don't think that there's an ephemeral quality that you can't capture there i think that a lot of it is aesthetic there's a reason why there's a book at lucasfilm now disney i guess uh that's like uh basically a group of star star uh, wars like naming rules and like lore and they have like a central set of tomes about lore and how you're allowed to name things and like it is trying to capture an aesthetic value and if you follow those rules it will feel like star wars and why when the thing that's funny is like i feel kind of like the new trilogy of star wars is last jedi set off a weird culture war yeah force awakens everyone is like that was a nice time in the movies but it's basically star wars new hope again The Last Jedi is the only thing, and I haven't seen Andor all the way through, which I know has a lot of good, interesting things to say about politics and Andor is so good. Andor is so good. I do. I would say that the only two interesting movies from a story and a theming, not a story, but like a theming standpoint, are Rogue One and The Last Jedi. Those two movies have something to say besides what if the good guys fight the bad guys. 
Um, and, but like, fuck, I watched The Mandalorian. What if it's like, what if he's he's kind of a cool good guy <laughs> who sometimes does bad guy shit? Like, the thing about the Mandalorian, what if, he, what if he's Clint Eastwood? Yeah, I mean, that's it. The thing about the Mandalorian is even when an episode is like kind of boring or like whatever, is it like yeah. if he's going to hunt a space criminal? Or he's yeah. fighting a space monster, and they play the the really awesome Star Wars music, and he gets yeah. in the ship. It's like a fine way to spend forty five minutes, like because yeah. because it, it, Star Wars is inherently an aesthetic value. I'm not watching yeah. the Mandalorian being like, does this back up the the mythical ethos of Star Wars? Like it doesn't matter. So well, and also you can always you can always throw out new shit because it's like yeah, there's this planet, and there's this guy Galibo Santis. <laughs> You know, like it, like you, it, it doesn't matter. There's not like this, like in Star Trek, you're seeing it always from the ten thousand foot view, and like the reason Star Wars, especially like the extended universe novels, it's like yeah, there's a guy and he's on this planet, and maybe he runs into Han Solo when in there. Like it doesn't matter. Like it, none of it. It, it, it doesn't matter because there's no theme besides uh, the, the bad guys are bad guys and the good guys are good guys. And sometimes people have to walk a line between good and bad and turn bad, and so like. It doesn't matter to the point that, like, I saw some tweet um, about the – what is the new show called? Anushka or something? Um, uh, Ahsoka. Yeah. Ahsoka, sorry. I, I did not watch Rebels. And they go, like – and they were ta- joking about, like, like how is there always more Jedi? Like, <laughs> people – like, this Order 66 where they killed all the Jedi, they did a fucking terrible job. Everywhere Awful. you go, there's another Jedi. Like, Awful. But, they should have done an Order 666. But it's because they're like, anyone could be like, oh, yeah, I want some more Jedis. I mean, the the galaxy in the universe is very big. They could have they could have done 99 percent of the Jedis. We can still have thousands left. Like, it doesn't matter. No one no one cares because it's just about how can you tell a good space adventure story for 95 percent of the the stuff. And and Star Trek isn't like about that. It's about something. And so when you're yeah, you could tell a good space adventure story within Star Trek, but you're going to go to that same level. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And I, I just really quickly, and we'll talk, we'll probably talk, talk about this more later um, in, a, in a few weeks, but it is kind of funny that for completely different reasons, the new Star Wars movies also kind of don't matter. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're not, it doesn't seem like they're making new Ray movies. It no. seems like that every attempt to make a new trilogy just gets aborted. Yeah. Uh, they love making the shows because the shows can operate in a nice little time window. They yeah. don't have to commit. They're to... basically making the extended universe novels we all used to read. Yeah, they don't have to commit to to ten years of Anything. making a new trilogy, right? Like yeah. they're 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 not committing a zillion billion dollars. They're saying, okay, we made this show. People aren't really vibing with this character. We canceled that show. Okay, we're making this show. Yeah. People really like this character enough that we can have a spinoff. Okay, maybe we don't make. And more even Boba they're Fett doing like... some of the like the the thing that people hated about the I haven't seen the third season, The Mandalorian, but they're like. Oh, Luke shows up, and everyone's like, "We don't fucking need Luke." I, it's and, my least favorite part and, of Mandalore. And and like the Obi Wan show sucked ass too. Like we're gonna show where they meet Leia and become friends. It's like who cares? No one cares about this. Go show me more cool Rogue One shit. Go yeah. take a throwaway line and make a movie out of it. But like, like I don't care about this stuff. But like fundamentally, for completely different reasons, the new Star Wars movies don't matter. Whereas the new Star Trek movies. Kind of don't matter because they were trying to retread the past. And then people you're, just... You're right. I understand what you're saying. You're saying because every Star Wars property that they're making now is set either 
in between episode three and four or in between episode six and seven. Like, no one fucking cares about. Like, when I show my kids Star Wars at some point, I'm going to show them New Hope through Last Jedi and Rogue One. And I'm not going to show them nine. (laughs) And I'm not going to show them the first three. And I... I'll show them whatever show ends up being somewhat interesting. Yeah. Like, and or so good. It'd probably be boring to a kid, though. <laughs> yeah. You want, you want to learn about fascist uprisings? <laughs> I mean, even, like, even Rogue One is, like, maybe a little mean for a kid. Oh, um, I mean, I'm not going to... Yeah, trust me. Peter, you don't have to worry. My kids have been very clear. They have no interest in Star Wars at this point. So Good for them. It's not, it's not a pressing concern. Good for them. They don't have to be cursed with the thing that you and I have where, where every so often... <laughs> Every so often, I'm like, I don't give, I don't give a shit about Star Wars. I, I, I like won't give a shit about Star Wars for like a year and a half, and then I'll, someone will say something about Star Wars, and I'll be like, actually, it's actually Endor. Something. I mean, you and I had a non, a non angry text exchange today that went on for quite a while. I here's the thing about that text exchange. So we were debating whether Endor was the name of the planet or the name of the moon. Uh, and here, here's the thing about that exchange. At no point did I ultimately care what you thought about it, and it was a lot of fun. Do I also think I am 100% right? <laughs> yes. Like, that. that is the funny thing about Star Wars fandom. There is a little bit of like, well, hold on, as a Simpsons nerd glasses, like, Peter, I get what you're saying, and I ultimately don't care. But uh, to be clear, you are wrong. <laughs> like, Whereas I, I I just I yeah. didn't grow up with Star Trek the same way where I can yeah. I can get I can get mad about like uh impulse drive they called impulse drive impulse engines impulse engines like why does this work this work like I I don't get mad about how one show fails to explain this better than another show or why they didn't use yeah. this trick 40 years later when it's in the logs or whatever but first there's something about star wars that's unfortunately in my dna and i i, I don't have a means of getting it out of me <laughs> i was i was the same way with star wars i mean i at one point i literally had kept up with every one of the extended universe novels like that probably went away around the same time like i went to college or something like that but um or maybe later in high school but uh, and I collected the one thing that really it got this got me for both Star Trek and Star Wars, and made me a fucking weirdo obsessive where I knew everything for a while was um, in the nineties they there was this quest to make like customizable card games like Magic the Gathering was huge right like yeah. it was they had they had X Files ones they had a fucking HP Lovecraft one they had. More, like, customizable card games. Everyone was trying new ones. And a company called Decipher made both Star Trek, the Next Generation ones, and Star Wars ones that both kind of took off. And I collected them obsessively. Like, all my money in junior high went to those cards. And so, like, the way those cards work is that all of a sudden, like, you know the name of ever... They worked with Lucasfilm to get all the names right. So, all of a sudden, you know the names of, like, that's this speeder's called a Vespa Motors. Like, because you're playing the cards and you're just – it was bad. It was it was not good that I knew that much about uh, anything, really. Did you did you uh, sell those? Uh, so, this is a true story. I did not because as I stopped being interested in them because I went to high school and started, like – dating women and stuff like that. I mean, they weren't women. I guess they were high school girls. But I was a high school boy, so it wasn't... Do you know what happens? But my brother, Luke, was obsessed with them, and he, knowing that I wasn't paying attention to them, 
stole all my cards and sold them um, at a shop so he could buy other cards. And I think there was like a weird thing of like a separation. Like if I sell these cards that Aaron's not paying attention to and buy new packs, I can like – He's not going to be like, you have my card because I've exchanged them for other packs. So it was actually like a very big issue within my family growing up because my brother had stolen all my stuff and sold it. Um, And I will tell you, as an older brother, I don't think he – I don't remember what the punishment was, but I definitely was not compensated for my entire card collection that he had stole. Although I'm pretty sure he got quite – Yeah, you should look up uh, what each card's value is and then put Uh, it in an Excel sheet – and then send that bill to him. Yeah, I think I think I should do that. But yeah, no, there was there It'll was be some, eight dollars. <laughs> I mean, probably it's not worth anything. I like still magic, remember what yeah, I stole. The gathering still has a lot of value. Like not, you just never know what's. Going I think on. I looked it up once, and I was just <laughs> curious. Um, and I don't think they're worth anything. I didn't have like the black border limited editions for a lot of them either because I got into them a little. That's so beside the point. That's going to get added. All oh, that's probably going to get added out. But Peter, so I think we talked about like why this doesn't matter. <laughs> let's talk. Let's go to the break. Let's talk a little bit about unification just as an episode. And we'll just talk a little. I don't think we need to go plot by plot, beat by beat with this. I'm more interested in doing that for Star Trek Beyond. And next week, I'm very – I think that's going to be like a Boondock Saints episode where – because I don't just hate the movie. I hate – the oral history made me so angry about how everyone is like – takes no responsibility like it's so stupid <laughs> but they take no fucking responsibility for the the shitty movie they made about 9-11 and blame all of the fans for wanting something and then being like oh i guess we got you the present you wanted and you didn't like it like it's it's infuriating uh, but well yeah but we'll do that next week let's talk about unification and then a little bit of star trek 2009 So, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about unification. We're, we're not going to do – it's a two-hour episode. We're not going to do like a plot by plot. But I'll talk a little bit about the history of this one really quickly too. So unification is an episode in the fifth season of, of Star Trek. It was kind of a huge event. So as we talked about, Roddenberry really fought against having any any like original series references. He kind of fought against having a Klingon with Worf. He fought against – and part of that is because he got removed as a quick refresher from – after the motion picture was a bust, Paramount was like, you get an office and you're our special advisor and you don't have any more power. And Roddenberry hated that. Uh, and part of the reason I said he's a huge asshole is him his constant attempt to get himself back into Star Trek is incredible and like fucking movie villain stuff. And then he turned against his own philosophy at some point and started like being racist. And he was always a shitty misogynist and a lot of other stuff. But like – uh, but so Star Trek Next Generation, he had a lot more control and one of his like pouty old man things was like, no Star Trek. I'm going to do this from scratch. Like, fuck you. Anyway, um, so he had – the big compromise was having Sarek on the show, which we covered in a third season episode. Kind of – part I, – I told you, Peter, partly because I knew we were watching this at some point. I'm like, it's not one of my favorite episodes, but at least we'll set up some things that will be good 
for you later on <clears throat> as we get the through point to Star Trek 2009. Um, originally, they had offered Spock a episode in season four, and he said $1 million, which was a lot in 1990 or whatever. Um, they're like, we don't have a million. Like, our budget for each episode is this. No, you can't have a million dollars. What's so funny, as a quick bullet point... In the fourth season of Star Trek Enterprise, they almost got Shatner on playing the mirror evil universe of himself, and it was the same thing. He literally had a meeting. They're like, I love it. Let's do it. It'll be a ton of fun. And he said specifically to them at the table, but this is going to cost you. (laughs) And and, I mean, he's making Priceline money in 2005. I don't know what his problem was, but they uh, – UPN or whatever said, hey, even if – this is a huge rating success. We're still going to cancel your show, so we're not going to pay for Shatner. We don't care. Um, but Nimoy came around because he was a producer and co-writer of Star Trek VI with Nicholas Meyer. And this mo- this episode actually came out three weeks before Star Trek VI. So from his perspective, it would work as promotion for Star Trek VI. And as you may have caught or may not have caught, Peter, they referenced Star Trek VI. Quite a lot in this movie. They talk about the Kittimer Accords, where Spock meets Pardek the Romulan, was at the Kittimer Accords, and they talk about kind of what happened. If you were watching all this stuff live and were a huge Star Trek fan, this was kind of going like, oh, they're talking about what happens at the movie that comes out in three weeks. That's pretty cool. So that was his that was his reason for I would assume significantly cutting his price and showing up on uh, on the next generation. One of the other funniest things is that this is the episodes that aired right when Broadberry died. So they do have, and they preserve this on the cuts that are on Paramount Plus or on the Blu-rays. It says, uh, it says in love, you know, it actually doesn't say loving memory. It says Gene Roddenberry, 1952 to, uh, to 1992, which I think is kind of, or 1991, whatever it is. Which I think is kind of funny. Not 52. Sorry. Whatever. Whatever whatever ages he was, guys. 1932. <laughs> but I think it's funny that they just say Gene Roddenberry and they have the dates. Um, and they put it on this show that he would have fucking hated. <laughs> Alive. It is, it's, it's like protecting a legacy, right? To pretend like <clears throat> uh, not only would he have loved this, but we're bringing his – we're doing an homage yeah. to him – like obviously, the, that's not how the that's not how the timing works. But um, the like yeah. the idea that uh, like you're protecting the legacy over you're protecting the ego of some random dude is like fine. Yeah. The great thing about the oral history, which if you have a ton of time and want to read all of it, it is really good. It's called the Fifty Year Mission, and it goes like right before Discovery uh, premiered, so it doesn't have too much about the the newest newest stuff. But it gets a lot of people talking about a lot of stuff. It's incredibly interesting. I I had a great time with it. But, like, the thing that everyone kind of comes back to is, man, a lot of people were like, no, Roddenberry, he's very – like, people protected his legacy for a long, long time and then even came back and said, okay, like, no, this is what – he would have hated this. This is bad. Like, here's why we did this. This is where we fight. Here's why we quit. Like, it it is really good about, like, going back and I think telling – a lot of different perspectives from a story. And so one of the funniest things is they use Roddenberry quotes at the like time when they're talking about like making these episodes. So you have everyone contradicting his story in like modern time and then him telling this bullshit version that's on there too. So it, it's 
It's good, but he would have been very much against this. Uh, but this was a huge event, which is not surprising. Like, and they don't even waste any time with. Um, I went back and found the teaser from the previous episode. Like, you know, it says next week on Star Trek, and they're like Spock's in it before the opening credits. Remember, like they don't do any teasing. They're like, here's it's, it's Spock. Spock's in this episode. They wanted it to be a fucking event and it was it was one of the top five most watched episodes of star trek the next generation almost 30 million people viewed in for a show in syndication peter that's just insane numbers that was uh i mean it's insane numbers now if you you had 30 million people it'd be the number one show on on television by like twice whatever whatever is the number one actual show um i think the the reason why it had a fan backlash and this is actually something cited by like people at the time too um josh whedon specifically cited this as like why he wanted to tell more sensical serialized storytelling in buffy was because of how much he hated this episode chris carter mentioned it too as something that he fucking so like this this episode got a lot of hype a lot of people watched it and kind of became a flashpoint for feeling like Star Trek doesn't do these things well or thoughtfully. And um, obviously, whatever you think of Chris Carter and Josh Whedon, uh, these are from these are like quotes from the 90s. And the part of that is because they felt like they shoehorned Spock into a plot that didn't make a lot of there two. There's two big complaints. The first one is, is that all the Patrick Stewart, Spock and Data stuff is good. And that's thirty percent of the show, and they don't know what to do with everyone else through the movie. Which is they which is nonsense. true. There's which a is true. there's a hideous piano monster that uh, eats up fifteen minutes, twenty minutes there. <laughs> yeah, and they also don't have Spock appear till the very end of the first episode. So so much of the first episode is like nonsense, mystery solving, as opposed to what everyone's going to. And then the big thing around like Star Trek falling off from the terms of like logical sense is that people hated the the plot of this movie like the idea like i there's a specific quote i think it's from either josh Wien or chris carter i forget because this is actually from memory not from like a recent thing i looked up but uh you know they're like two thousand troops they're gonna take over a fucking planet in a surprise attack you couldn't take over cleveland with two thousand troops let alone like the the planet and the race that has is theoretically more technologically sophisticated than Earth and the Federation and brought humans and Earth into the Federation. Like, yeah. they're like, it just, the whole stupid plot around this big event makes no goddamn sense. And then they, sh- there was also complaints about, then they th- shoe in Sela, who, who already was a little bit of a shoe in from, like, she shows up for a few seconds and no one even, know, like, she looks like Denise Crosby, Tasha Yar. They've yeah. never met her before. No one talks about no one it mentions at it. all. No one mentions it at all. Like and she's not so, even in a weird prosthetic. No. What's funny is that so I actually read the novelization of this, which took the expanded script and added stuff before I saw the episode. So there is a ton in the novel of them being like, holy shit, what happened? And her explaining the plot of yesterday's Enterprise and being like – and Picard being like, uh, I don't believe you. And she's like, I'm the proof. I read it a few times. I think I owned it. So, like, I remember it really well. But there's a ton that apparently is from the script that they used. But then they – in the effort of, like, 
shoehorning all that into this part two so they can have the big ending of to be continued being we saw Spock, they cut all that shit out. And so like, yeah, there's they've never met this woman. She looks exactly like this person that died. No one talks about it or mentions it. It's only something for the audience that has no connection. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, this uh, even in some contemporary reviews, this this these episodes have very low ratings, like four out of ten for some like, you know, colliders reviews. The AV club gave them bad ratings when they did it. So, yeah, I I still have I mean, this was such a big touch point for me as a kid. Because you get Spock and you get all these things that like, and I, again, I read the novelization over and over because I owned it. Like, I, I don't necessarily have a really good sense of this, but I definitely, like, as a kid, I didn't notice any of that shit and hadn't read all those things. And like, you know, as an adult watching, I'm like, man, this first, you could cut out. 30 minutes of this first episode it's very totally clear fine. it's very clear yeah. at a certain point they're like reusing sets and stuff because they're like yeah. all of our money is being spent on the I'm main a plot yeah. which is yeah. not always true in track sometimes it's yeah. like they'll be very stirring b conversations or like they'll have whoopi goldberg in a scene that's yeah. like that's like really powerful but it has nothing to do with the main plot and you like forget that it's a b plot because it's well written and they spent the time on this with this it's just like um space jazz yeah i don't know they're looking for a ship (laughs) that's more exciting than spot yeah, they get like two scenes of Data and Spock. They're like, "What about Riker and Worf talk to a uh, what they call a quote unquote fat Ferengi about a song and a ship he might have taken for thirty minutes? That good too?" Um, yeah, so really cute. I don't know. This shows uh, racist attitudes towards Ferengi that I'm I'm gonna enjoy in DS Nine. You know? Yeah. What's so? What is interesting about this episode beyond that? And I'll, I'll, is that obviously it informs a lot of what comes next, like. This idea of Spock being staying behind and trying to um, reunify, um, reunify uh, uh, Vulcan and Romulans, which were again always a thing of like you know they must have been they must have been related in the past, and but while there was a break, one became like logical and scientific, and one became kind of like the Roman Empire and imperialistic, and you know sometimes a. Uh, uh, Russia or something like that stand in for for Star Trek um, but yeah like it is it, it is something where this this became a big influence of like well how do we get Spock into this well Spock is you know still trying to make peace and he pisses off Romulans apparently this whole thing with the Romulans and like Romulus exploding which happens in Star Trek 2009 is a big part of Picard haven't seen it. I don't know. This also has a sequel episode that's literally just called Unification Part 3. Uh, not a hint. Like, they just call it unific- reunific- or Unification Part 3, which is part of Discovery's third season, which takes place in the 31st century, where uh, the race uh, Vulcan and uh, Romulan do, do reunite. And they find okay. out that that does eventually happen, like, 800 years, 700 years in the future of this. So... Uh, so, yeah, it is interesting how much this episode informs later on. Well, I think being uh, 
a great episode whenever Spock, Data, and Picard are on screen, and kind of a boring waste of time episode otherwise. Yeah. But what is your what is your take? Yeah, yeah, it's that's that's the take. Um, I don't partic- the the um the, the fact that the like the lot the it's such a Joss Whedon complaint to be like they're gonna you couldn't take Cleveland with two thousand troops. We're like, is it like okay, like. I'm sorry, the okay. logistics don't work for you. The show is never about like war tactics, right? Um, that's not that's not particularly interesting to me. What what is compelling to me is like this is an episode which I think when you make this many episodes, it's completely fine to do this. This entire episode is basically just contrasting the character dynamics from the old show versus the new show. Yeah, I think it's it's nice and all that stuff I like. Yeah, I, I I I like that. I like that you know when Spock basically says out loud like, so you're you're trying to you know learn to become more human, and I've yeah. spent my entire life trying to. Oh, with know. data, yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, that's, it, they do the same thing with with uh, with LaForge and uh, Scotty in Relics too, with like. Here's these two people that are obviously the Star Trek equivalents of each other. How do they relate to each other? I think about I think, that, I think about the thing where Scotty says, you know, make make them think you're a miracle worker. Like yeah. always say it's like 150% of what the actual yeah. time is going to be um because they're going to ask you to do it in half. Yeah. Um yeah. like uh I I really like I, I think about that character dynamic all the time in like my regular life now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's uh, such a great idea. Say it's going to take you to Friday and get it done on Wednesday. Yeah, makes you look like a miracle yeah. worker. I, I think yeah. that episode's great. Um, I don't I don't think this is a particularly like great episode. Like I don't think it's that compelling. It's like oh they they thwart a invasion. I do really like. Um, all of those character dynamics, I do really like that anytime I get to spit, like think about how Kirk and Picard are just different characters, because yeah, when you're actually drawing real characters, you can do those sort of things. Um, I do think it's, you know, it's cute on their budget how they capture the underground resistance thing. Yeah. Um, I Obviously, it's just guys standing in a dark room and being yeah. like, well, do we attack now? But, yeah. like... Obviously, that's the... We got eight people. That's good enough for a resistance. <laughs> Obviously, they're using, like, TV shorthand. I mean, right? in fairness, the Senate is eight people, too. So, like, we got a good... <laughs> and there's three people that work in a restaurant. There's 20 people on this planet. I think we're in... <laughs> Ready to I think go. we're in good shape. You know, the other part that actually really works for me, too, is that, like, we didn't watch... No, we did watch Journey to Babel, which is the introduction of uh, Sarek in in the original series it's been about five years but we did watch it and i like you know in every kind of depiction of spock and sarek it is this like you know spock is close with his mother and has a very challenging relationship with his father and so i think the way that they handle sarek's death happening with spock not around and and picard kind of talking to data about how challenging that's going to be even though he doesn't and and data's like i don't understand he'll He's logical. He'll just think it's a natural progression. And Picard recognizing that, you know, not only is he half human and has been really pushing down that part of him, things are more complex. And then I also just love the way that Spock kind of, because Picard has mind melded with Sarek, is kind of taking out in a very Spock-like way his frustration and arguments with his father on 
Picard and Picard literally saying like I'm not your father like you keep put you keep putting the words of a dead man in my mouth and Spock admitting that um that at the but after trying to reconcile and build a good relationship with his father he was never able to do that so he recognized that their relationship was going to be based on arguing and fighting and he liked that like that was like in a Spock way that was like his spending time with his dad was we're going to fight and argue and I that's what our relationship is and I've accepted that that's our relationship and so he is like trying to mourn his dad's death by arguing with this person that had a connection with his dad to kind of like feel those feelings is probably the wrong word with Falcons but like have that experience to someone that he's never going to have that experience again I think all that stuff is like not just really good thematically, but also really uses this episode to kind of cap a you know a twenty five year thing between these two characters that had a you know they're the only characters in the original. You never meet Kirk's dad. You never meet like fucking you know Scotty's dad or Sulu's dad. Like the parental relationships in Star Trek, which is an important part of like the human condition was all in this character of Spock. And so I also think they find a very good way to kind of, you know, what happens when that parent dies. Yeah. And they, they, they treat that very well. All that stuff I think is really well done. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think that that, the, what the, what that triggered in me is like, I think the show I kind of wish the show had spent more time on that and less on B plot stuff because that that's the big yeah. Like I think this is fifty percent an A plus episode and fifty percent of a C minus D plus episode and like it balances out in some capacity, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. the I also don't care about the Cleveland thing. Yeah, I, I yeah I don't couldn't care less about that. Um, but. The way that show makes you think about things in your own life, and it's like, I don't have that relationship with my father, like, where we yeah. all we do is argue or whatever, yeah. but, like, I have lost uh, family members and people in my life and stuff where, like, you're at the funeral, and there's this weird thing that happens at funerals where people want to deify the dead. Yeah, yeah. And... It's actually, like, much more cathartic to stop being an asshole and just, like, be honest. The good and the bad, if you're, if, if you're there, you're there to say goodbye to them, right? Yeah. Um, and, like, the good and the bad, like, have it out. And I know a lot of, like, older generation people, um, they're like, no, the funeral is actually a time of social performance and we're all going to be... We're all going to be very well behaved and we're not going to speak ill of the dead and you're not going to fucking cry. Like, I know for an older generation, there's like an entirely different idea of what a funeral is. But my idea of a funeral is like you're respectful to the family members. You're not like shoving your problems with the dead in their face. Right. But yeah, my idea of what a funeral is, is like. You have conversations, honest conversations, and you make fun of the person, and you talk about times that, like, they made you laugh, and, like, Mm -hmm. you have, you you deal with the person as they actually were, and not this, like, there's no value in deifying the dead, because you're making up a, you're making, it's it's actually terrible. (laughs) I, I, we, we, we smooth over all these complicated, even just from a historical figure, we smooth over all their 
complicated legacies and just be like, hey, he's a good guy. He did good things. Yeah. And like. Or bad things. They all become Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> That is true. Um, but like uh, when I go to a funeral and it's like for a, a close family member, mm-hmm. the first thing I do is like I go find the, the person and I go up and I'm like and I like give them a hug. And I leave them alone to process. And then at some point in there, I think about, like, a time that person made me laugh. Or, like, a weird, funny thing. Or a time that person yeah. embarrassed themselves. And, like, yeah. I remember about two hours into the wake, my aunt telling me and my cousin, the son mm-hmm. of the deceased person. So my uncle had died. The son mm-hmm. of the deceased person. My aunt telling my cousin and I, like... And he was like, why the fuck are you telling me to be quiet? We're talking about my dead father. And we were telling a funny story about this time that he was at a baseball game or whatever. Like we were, I was like telling, sharing funny stories about the dead. Like, what are we here for if we're not going to actually talk about the dead the way they were? And I feel like Spock is like coming to a realization that like, that is all their relationship will be is that art that um, arguing and, like, you kind of have to embrace that that's all your relationship will be because the person yeah. is gone now. The, 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 the book is closed. They are not able to act on the world. There's no more time to heal no. the relationship as it was. You just have to accept that that's what the thing was and be honest with yourself. Yeah. the sto- I mean, literally, the story is over. So there's no more chapters. No. So, like, how do you reconcile what you saw, lived, or however else you want to you wanna express it? I, yeah. And I... I think they do a good job, and it's a it's a you know kind of an interesting button in a much longer, um, much longer story with those two as well. So let's talk about Star Trek uh, two thousand nine. We're not going to do. I, I think the framing up of like what this movie is, who made it, how it was received. Where I, I think I think that's that's worthwhile. I don't think we need to go do uh, like a full thing. The the plot really basically is um, that kind of attempt at unification. Um, again, this is the part where like this, this for, for a movie about new people or a movie that theoretically is designed for new people, our point around, it keeps saying all this shit that you need to know to really follow it is so true because like there's a Nero comes back. Um, he's a Romulan who's pissed that eventually Romulus was destroyed about 10 years after we left, left the next generation. I had no idea what any of this shit was when I watched I the original movie. I was like. A bad alien is here. A He's bad back alien here. He is hates Spock. Aliens. He hates old Spock. But essentially, that's what happened. Eventually, Romulus gets destroyed. Um, uh, Nero, this guy who lost his family in that explosion, um, uh, thinks that Spock is to blame. There's red matter, which is like a reference to Alias. Not only does J.J. Abrams just reference a bunch of shit um, – of Star Trek, he just re- there's all these references to Alias and Lost and other things in the movie too, which is like all you are is references, buddy. Um, but uh, so, anyways, he goes back in time, creates a black hole with this red matter to basically punish Spock for some. Oh no, Spock goes back in time and he chases him. He accidentally opens a black black hole, and Nero follows, and he ends up running into. James T. Kirk's dad, uh, played by Chris Hemsworth, and that ship destroyed is like, where's Spock? No one knows who Spock is. Spock is a kid at this point. 
blows up the ship, and Kirk's dad, Kirk, uh, gets born on that ship with his mom. That shit is and so embarrassing. Yeah, this shit is um, so embarrassing. Like it's in retrospect, being it's born as your dad dies. Like, oh, oh my god. Yeah, really square in that. There's so much shit in this movie that's that's thoroughly embarrassing screenwriting, and that's the one this, of them. the scene is really cool. I love the way like when it goes out into space, like you can't hear sound because you can't hear sound in space. Like again, it is it is cool whiz bang adventure stuff that like we're gonna have him come out and there's Kirk's dad, and not only that, Kirk's gonna be born, and Kirk's dad dies on this, and that like it's 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 terribly plotted. Um and again, is is the is the Rain Beatles cover of all of these songs? So then I will we say, see. Kirk I will say a lot of the space battles in this movie look, look very great. cool. They have nice particle effects. I actually think the space battles work better than any of the gunfights in this movie. I think- uh, yeah, I love the drill fight too. I mean, it looks. That's the thing. The thing that like Abrams did get right is like they deep like. In most of the movies or the TV shows, the, like, spaceship's shit doesn't look all that cool. It's like a slow-moving ship or it's moving at warp. Like, he, he, you know, he does some good stuff, like I said, which was what I think Star Trek needed to get people excited about it in a way, viscerally excited about it in a way that wasn't. That, that they weren't at that point. That it was kind of almost a dead franchise. And so, he it is the, the shock that it needed. Made the Enterprise cool. There's a lot of, there's a good amount of gunfights in this movie and hand-to-hand fights. Yeah. And the funny thing about this is I remember thinking like, oh, that's so cool. They made, you know, like they they like updated Star Trek and they made it like, you know, they made it more whiz-bang than than the old stuff. Now that I've watched a bunch of this, take out the particle effects, take out Mm -hmm. the strobe light, take out like a lot of the moving, like, the, the camera that happens to be moving in some shots. Yeah. The, the gunfights are just as incomprehensible or clunky as yeah. they are in all of the rest of the... Like, there's no exciting shootouts in this movie whatsoever for a movie that has a ton of people getting phasered. <laughs> no. And, like, what's funny is, like, Eric Banna plays Nero. I really like his performance because he is just so disinterested in anything. Like, he's not monologuing i love when he first runs into the enterprise and is like hey chris like <laughs> like it's a real fun performance that like heck me this is a, probably a broader thing and that's fine because i don't want to spend too much time on all this here's the thing i think all the performances are great i think the cast is amazing i love part of the reason i love star trek beyond is they let this great cast that does a really good job of portraying these characters just kind of do a star trek thing and it's a ton of fun to see without these heady like fucking space nazis or trying to move all these pieces into the board into place my memory of all their great moments is more than the like I remember Eric Bana having all these great moments as this great villain and he has every he's good in every scene he's on scene or every every scene he's on screen but he has like five moments and like even Kirk like Kirk doing the Kobayashi Maru and chewing the apple and like that's so good it, it's so funny Chris Pine is I love Chris he's still my favorite of the Chris's he's so good in this all those charming moments of him doing those funny Kirk things where he's kind of like not doing an impression of William Shatner, but doing a really good essence of the character, especially in the original series. It's like six of them. The rest of them are him like fighting with someone or like my memory of like the great moments are there. Those great funny moments are there. 
it just is it's less of the movie than I remember. <laughs> so much of the movie is grinding heavy machinery into place. And yeah. I, I mean that figuratively, but also kind of literally. Um, so much of the movie is grinding the heavy machinery of getting a franchise stood up on its feet and getting this this, this fucker in the air. And getting everyone into their positions for the end of the movie. Yeah, that honestly, the first I do not like the first 40 minutes of this movie. Um, may. Yeah, I think about the first 40 minutes of this movie. I think the first 40 minutes of this movie is largely bad. Um, but... I like... Well, Kobayashi Maru's scene is good. I think that's, I think that's like, right at 40 minutes. Yeah, yeah. The movie takes a I long, like... But, like, my point here is I it like takes a long the, time to I like the kid... I like the kid listening to Sabotage and Drive. Um, we'll get there in a second, because I also found that very embarrassing. Okay. Um, but, uh... The, they spend so long getting this, like, infrastructure in place that they do lose the character, don't they? Like, they, yeah, they do. And, 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 it's, and, and it's, it's such a it's, shame. It's, it's, it's all touch points from the show. Like, again, that's why I think we're going to say this throughout and we're almost done with the episode. But, like, the, the thing about Zachary Quinto's performance is not that, like, if you walked in off the street, you'd be like, God. Spock, what a character. You would go and say, that guy does a good Spock, considering yeah. he like it's the same thing with Chris Pine. Like you you the only way you could get anything out of any of these characters is your knowledge of them from the other show. It's why my daughter didn't I'm not even gonna bother showing her into darkness or be maybe I'll show her beyond, because beyond you don't need to watch in darkness to have fun with beyond. But like I it it is in retrospect so goddamn funny that this was to get new people involved because like how would you care about or know who any of these people are the only person in the entire cast that has more character than her Star Trek original series version is Ohura which was like very intentional of like oh we have a girl like and also, J.J. Abrams' wife, like, helped uh, write some of this stuff because they're like, we need to give her more to do. Like, she yeah. – most of most of the non-Shatner, McCoy, Nimoy stuff or whatever in the original didn't have much to do. That's true of almost every character in this movie except Uhura gets a little more to do than she used to on the show. Even, like – like, fuck. Like, who doesn't like seeing Anton Yelchin? But, like, his big moment is, like – he, they're making a reference to nuclear vessels in Star Trek Four, which is so good in Star Trek Four. And you hear the computer doesn't understand his thick Russian accent. Like the computer understands Klingon. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the, the computer computer's a fucking space racist. Like, yeah. If you have a speech impediment, uh, is the computer yeah. like actually what you're speaking isn't even English to me? Yeah, you're basically a nonsense man. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's, that's pretty uh, messed up for this computer, man. Yeah, but it's like, that's all it is, is like his character is like, he's young and he, here's a reference to the other movies. So, yeah, I mean, so you see Shatner as a kid, he's a rebel, he drives a car and listens to Beastie Boy Sabotage, <laughs> which I like because I like Sabotage and I think the sequence is fun. It is completely superfluous. Uh, they use so, um, okay, so they use so much shorthand in this that I... They use so much shorthand here that, like, okay, his mom is somewhere else. The stepdad is calling him, yelling at him to bring back the car. The stepdad is never on screen. You don't know anything about him. The all, mom never shows up again either. All you all you know about the stepdad is that he's mad at this little shithead for stealing his car. And you're like, 
Wait, hold on. Is the stepdad beating him? Is he a shitty stepdad? Maybe the stepdad just didn't want a 13-year-old stealing his car? Like, what? Why am I on the kid's side? Yeah. (laughs) I know this is, like, absolutely not how you're supposed to watch it, but I'm watching it, I'm like, well, this moment of rebellion has no emotional basis for me. They're using too much shorthand. They're like... They are. They're like, this kid doesn't care about the rules or the police. That's, like... that's like their way of introducing yourself to Shatner. And also, like, I also, like, you've seen enough Star Trek. This idea that, like, Kirk doesn't care about anything is, like, he occasionally would, would when he thought that, he knew better than Command. Like, to save Spock or to, like, but he was he was not a, like... Uh, you don't rise to the rank of captain in Starfleet by constantly being like, fuck you, man, and fuck you, and someone be like, this guy, talk back to me. Let's pro- give him the biggest ship in the – like, it's a little bit of uh, – again, it, all of these characters are deconstructed to, like, little touch points and base elements. And, like, even even though Chris Pine does a good job, it's that's very true of his character. But, yeah, he didn't grow up with a dad, so he became a shitty kid, and then he runs into Chris Pike – at, at this bar in Iowa where all of, like, McCoy's there. They're putting together the Enterprise, like, the whole world. I'm not trying to get into nitpicker shit, but again, it's not nitpicker shit because it's like, we got to show the Enterprise being built and how they're going to run into him. What if the whole future crew of the Enterprise, or half of them, is hanging out in his hometown because he didn't want to go to Starfleet Academy anymore, and they find him and are like, fuck you, dude. Yeah. Come join us. Like Again, it's like the scenes themselves, like the scene with Christopher Pike saying, if you're, I love like the, the line of, I know you don't like this, or like, I guess you don't like the first 40 minutes. But the line <laughs> of <don't>. like, <laughs> But the, but the line of, like, your dad was the pilot of, like, was the captain of the ship for five minutes and he saved 400 lines. Like, I want you to do half as much. Like, that stuff is kind of good, like, in a vacuum. Like, in a – but it, it doesn't – it like, everything is just disconnected to, like, well, we got to get him into Starfleet. We got to get him to meet all these people. And then, like, okay, well, how do we get him to show that he's at odds with Spock? Well, Spock, I guess, is a commander already. He's not in – the academy with him but he's going to be his teacher and we're going to show him like the whole part of the kubayashi maru in star trek 2 is like he figured out a way to it's like it's it's vague how he beat the test and it's kind of alluded to like he cheated a little bit and then like the big reveal of how he cheated which of course somehow happens the same way in this timeline because all versions of kirk <laughs> cheat the kobayashi maru is he just literally reprograms it so he's like shoot them i won <laughs> like <laughs> The scene itself is hilarious and good. I really like I really like the scene. And it's also the first time in the movie I like Kirk because up until then I've seen him as a, a shithead kid and a sexual harasser in a bar. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, yeah. also, like, also their motivation behind him is like, uh, you want to avenge your dad, right? And I'm like, this is so boring, dude. This is so boring. <laughs> Move on. Yeah. You gotta do better Avenge than that. Avenge your dad by being really good in school. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta do better than that with Kirk. You can't just be like, don't you want to go to space so you can kill that one space alien? Like, no. We gotta do better. Again, the movie would have been better served at, like, so the whole point of the original Harv Bennett Academy years is you don't do any of that. You show Kirk and Spock becoming friends in the Academy and getting on adventures and pranks together or whatever else. If you would if you would have done that here, maybe you have a better movie. Or 
you just do it where it's the start of their five-year mission and they're going on a space adventure and just like in the first episode of Star Trek, the original series, no one ever meets each other or make it the first mission. Make it, hey, Spock, I'm taking over as captain for Christopher Pike who got into a terrible accident and is now, you know, in in a lot of trouble for the rest of his Like, do something like that. The idea of like we're going to do 30 minutes of the Academy years, it's like it, – it, it's all it's all just point A to point B storytelling and nothing makes any sense in yeah. a vacuum. And so, like, yeah, I love the, the Kobayashi Maru scene. Hilarious. I, th- I actually put down movie gets good at 28 minutes and it's oh. it's when you meet Carl Urban. Um, yeah. Oh, Carl. 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 Again, another great. Such I, a good McCoy. He's so me, good. In he's the movie. best piece of casting. To me, he's... I, I, like, I give it to Chris Pine, but Carl Urban's my number. I think he's the best piece of casting because Chris Pine, um, up until that point, they um, so so heavily hobbled him with ter- uh, terrible characterization that it takes Chris Pine truly 30 minutes to be like, how do I get my head above water in this movie? And he does it because he's Chris Pine. Um, so uh, Carl Urban is introduced. And I just have one very important question to ask with the limited time we have left. Yeah. He makes so he's called so he's called Bones, yeah, because he's so divorced. His wife took <laughs> everything but the bones. Again, that so no, if you're gonna ask me, is that a thing on the show or the movies? The answer is no. Again, Abrams being it's like, a reference to doing, Sawbones. It's a reference. I, it's a, I know. It's a. It's like a Civil War term for fucking. I know. Again, like <laughs> you know, for for all the shit the prequels got. I do like this movie. For all the shit the prequels got of, like, we don't need to know where everything comes from, dumbasses. Like, the, you know, the Patton Oswalt thing. Like, I just like ice cream. I don't need to know all the different steps to make an ice cream cone <laughs> yeah. to enjoy it better. Uh, paraphrasing. Um, it's the same thing here. Like, oh, his name's Bones. What if we give it to, I, I got so divorced that all I had left that I own. It's my bones. So and also bad. I'm joining Starfleet. And also we're all taking off from this place in Iowa next to our eventual ship we'll be at for five years. Fucking Uhura's there, Captain Pike. Like, it is just like the shorthand again, is it, so embarrassing. Dude. It's so it's it's embarrassing, and it is like I don't want to turn into what's that, Cinema Sins? Yeah. But like this inspires you to go like it it is Cinema Sins worthy, not because like, oh, it's plot holes, but because it's so lazy yeah it is like it is the laziest way to get there and then yeah they're on their first training mission kirk gets kicked out he has to sneak on the ship so that they can keep him in the black shirt the entire movie and not give him the gold like that's the big like we're gonna finally show him in the gold captain seat in the very last scene of the movie again their first mission is this neural thing and they all have to get on their ships and they run right into Nero, who's like, oh, hey, that's the Enterprise. Spock's on that ship. Meanwhile, they've captured Spock from the future. And again, even that part, like, again, this just sounds like cinema shit, but like, so his plan is he's going to, in the same way Romulus got blown up, he's going to use this red matter. He's going to blow a Vulcan. And he's going to make Spock of the future watch it. Now, if you were like your entire goal now in life is to make this person suffer and to see him suffer. Don't you keep that motherfucker on the ship to watch his face when they blow up the planet? He goes and strands them on another planet so he can watch from a distance when they blow up the planet. Like, 
it makes no sense. And as a matter of fact, it seems like even Nero's like that makes no sense. Because now that young Spock shows up, he's like, oh, I want you to see this in person. <laughs> so I can oh. see how upset. Like, it's like, it's so stupid. Yeah. Um, he wants, and yeah, he wants, cr- cr- uh, he wants uh, cr- uh, time, cross time triggering of multiple Spocks at once. Yes. Like, what but one, but again, like, again, if I am, Peter, if, if I'm so pissed at you that I'm like, my entire life now is I'm going to, I don't know, burn down your house. Mm-hmm. Like, and I want to see the look on your face when I burn down your fucking house that you <laughs> prepared and stuff like that. Like, I just want to know. I want you to feel the pain that I felt. Do you think a good way to do that would be to say, I don't know, lock you in a closet 30 miles away with a video feed in a little, like, uh, smartphone watching me burn down your house <laughs> or or would it be better if I like fucking tied you to a chair in front of the house and lit matches while you're like oh no my house <laughs> like what's that is fa- like I'm never gonna see that guy again but somewhere he's pissed you see like not, what is the difference it's, it's so not, stupid it's not CinemaSins nitpicking it is them having to force a bunch of plot elements together and they're like how is Spock even involved in this? Because Spock. Has well, to yeah, because the they're movie. like, we need Spock to be on the planet because if we don't, if we have him there, then they're going to run into him, and we don't like. It's all plot contrivance to, like you said, the 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 best analogy for this movie is like <laughs> literally forcing heavy gears to grind together to get to. Like, it's like anything. Like, we ever driven your car and you're like, did I hit the garage? I'm going to go a little bit further. Oh, shit. Yeah, no, I hit the garage. <laughs> I sh- I sh- why did I keep going? I should have backed out um, immediately. That is this whole – that's this whole movie. So, again, I like those scenes. I do – I like the pike come over here. I love the, hey, they're drilling some sort of hole. Kirk, you're not supposed to be here. Sulu, you have combat training because he used a sword when he was drunk in one episode of the original series. I love the joke about the red shirt where the guy's like, we're going to really kill some Romulans. Yeah, that's a really good joke, he, I think. He immediately dies. Like, that. that's the kind of good reference that I think is, like, referencing something and winking at something to the audience where it's not like, oh, that happens all the time to red shirts or, like, they're, sp- they're spelling it out for everyone like they do with most things in this movie. Yeah, and – uh, Delta Delta Vega, um, I think is the planet that Spock is um, ends up. Yeah, yeah. It's also the planet that Kirk just crash lands on, and then they use two space monsters to chase them into the same cave on the same planet. Well, and you're like, and Scotty's on that planet. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. So no, here's what you have. Not there. only did I so abandon you on an abandoned planet. Actually, there's kind of a lot of people on the planet. Hey, you know that one guy we haven't <laughs> seen yet? Scotty's there. Um. Oh, well, that's the so other much. thing. No, that the other thing that's so stupid though is like so. Spock, I mean, literally. So they the planet blows up. Spock is like, "We're gonna go rendezvous with view, view with the fleet," and Kirk's like, "No, we can't do that." And instead of putting him in the brig, which is a thing on all of these ships, he's like, "Beam him down to the planet." Like again, why would you? They're warping away, so apparently they didn't warp that far. Even though it's the speed of light, they, like, went, eh, eh. Like They started their engine and immediately stopped it because it has to be a planet that can watch another planet in full view explode. 
And they they just needed to peel off. out around the block yeah. so that he I couldn't know. see. Go back! Going. I'm going to turn this whole... If you talk about my captain-making decision, I'm going to turn this whole enterprise around. I'm going to leave you back at home. Um, yeah, it's it's stupid. They run into Spock. Again, the scenes of him going, you're Spock, how do you know me? Leonard Nimoy is very funny. I love the joke about, like, when when the two Spocks finally meet and Kirk didn't say anything about it and Spock being like, I implied there'd be certain world and universe ending paradoxes if they were to learn, if we were to meet is a very funny, it's more of a Back to the Future reference than a Star Trek reference, yeah. but it's still very fun. Still very funny, but like, yeah, that's, that's the whole thing. And now Nero, after he's, like, he's, he, he, how is, how is, since he's left Sp- old Spock, who he wants revenge on on this planet, now he's going to Earth to destroy Earth, because Spock is half-human. How's Spock going to see that? <sighs> like, he left him on this, is he going to call him later and be like, also, I know I should have just brought you with me on this journey of vengeance, but I didn't, and I also destroyed your other planet, so I got you twice. Check out this cool video. Um, <laughs> I recorded it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're saying they don't have YouTube in the future, Aaron? Yeah. Um, so, I, I find all of that so embarrassing on another level, which is we the, the continual continual theme of Star Star Trek is inability to pass the baton properly. Um, yeah. And you know, it had been passed so many times, and then we had all the TNG movies, and now we're in a reboot, and they're still passing the baton in one more fucking yeah. movie in this incredibly cringy scene. At yeah. The end. So at yeah, so at the end, they do defeat Nero. They stop everyone from getting exploding. And that stuff ends good. up like yeah, just it to, is. Just uh, to clarify. Yeah, when I love, I do like the fight at the end. Scotty, they run into Scotty who beams themselves across warp, which is like obviously a thing you can't do in Star Trek, and everyone's surprised. I like the scene of like Kirk being like, uh, that has the tip from other Spock, like he's feeling emotions, show everyone that he's not fit to be in command, and as the second command, you'll you'll take command. And they blow up Nero. Like I do like all that stuff. It's all good adventure stuff. There's some great moments. I like the moments of. Spock and Kirk starting to understand and respect each other a little bit, like when they're kind of teaming up at the end, like that stuff is all really good. I like the announcement of, of, of the two Spocks meeting each other. It is, is it dumb that at the end of all that, they're like, well, Kirk, I know you were, <laughs> I know you were a cadet, but you did a good job on that mission. Ultimately you're captain. Now you're captain of the enterprise. Great, great work. <laughs> um, which is so silly. Um, it it almost like again it goes right back into the um before Matt Taibbi became a a terrible monster. He has this he has this great bit in one of his books um, about how the the idea of a conspiracy theory to say that nine like that they faked nine eleven to get to the Iraq War is so funny because he, he imagines all the things that would have happened had to happen. And at the end of all this vast conspiracy, you still have to go. And even though we're not blaming that on Saddam Hussein at all, we should attack Iraq because of what, like they don't connect the two events in any way besides just general terrorism. And the idea that they would need to do all of this to do the Iraq war, they would have to fake this terrorist attack, blame it on someone completely different, and then a year and a half later, use the general threat. Like, he acts all this out, and it's very funny, because you still, 
even if you think it's a fake to to do to fake the Iraq war, you have to yada yada over a lot of stuff like that happened in real life to get to the Iraq war, even within that world of conspiracy. And that's what this reminds me of. You still have to go, okay, then uh, yada yada, he's captain now. Yeah. Like if you're trying to show how he became the captain, you still failed at that. You still are like, I don't know, he did a good job, so he's, he's king now. Like it doesn't, you're, you're yada, you didn't need all that stuff. Like you either needed to make it more cohesive or tell a different story or maybe at the end he's not captain because we're we're not there yet pike goes back to being captain and he ends up like in the second movie becoming captain but instead they're like yeah he's the captain now you can't spend an entire movie rushing 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 and not have him be captain at the end right somebody some nerd would complain somewhere right well but you also can't have a whole i mean i Again, from a, like, storytelling perspective, you also can't have a whole movie where it makes no sense for him to be the captain, only have one heroic moment at the end. And, like, if you want to show how why he should be the captain, start with him about to be the captain. And maybe he's a little bit shaky on his feet, and he's a first officer for Pike, or all the other things that you can do. But instead, they want that moment of, like, he's not the captain, he's not the comrade, he's fulfilled his destiny! But it's not like fucking Luke Skywalker fulfilling the destiny of his father by having force powers. Like, there's a goddamn chain of command in an organizational structure. It doesn't make... It's not how he it works. He fulfilled... You did pro- good. He captain. fulfilled the prophecy that was written in the script. Um, it's like if it's like if you're working at a goddamn Burger King as a line cook and a bunch of people are sick and you do a really good job running the shop. They're like, you're in charge of Burger King now. The whole thing. <laughs> you are you the Burger a, King. <laughs> you had a really good day. You're the Burger King now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It is absolutely yeah. that. Um, let me say a couple things I, I really like about the movie. Um, <laughs> so I actually don't really. I don't. I, I really hate that Kirk has like three bad intros. Like as a baby. <laughs> As a kid, and then as uh, an adult who also sucks, um, just yeah. I I think it's funny that uh, Baby Spock it has a whole plot line. Um, and did you recognize Baby Spock? There's no way we can't talk about this. He's from Wonder Show. He's in Wonder Shows and in Delocated. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah. I recognized him, and I was like. And I and I thought he was gonna crack a smile. I think he's one of the beat kids too. He he was on a few episodes of Wonder Shows and yeah, yes. Um, so funny. Yeah. I really like yeah. that the Wonder Shows and kid is in this movie, <laughs> who's only somehow is only four years younger than me. Can you believe that? Uh, depressing for me, but yeah. I His guess name is Jacob Kogan. Uh, he was born in 1995. That's really weird, right? Five years. I'm He's 27. Um, no, four years. You're 91. I thought you were 90. Yeah. Um, you just keep disappointing me. <laughs> were you trying to? Were you trying to mansplain what year I was born? Um, uh, no. Uh, I just got it wrong. <laughs> but uh, I, I do find, uh, yes, I do find it very cringy that they have to do the whole like. You're being born as your dad is dying. But I really like that intro, that really intro moment where you get to see Crim's Hemsworth at the at the helm. It's yeah. very funny that they 
ended up putting Chris Hemsworth, who would become like a much bigger actor later. A in huge, this role. yeah, right after, right after this, like Thor is two years later. Like they got lucky there. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels like canny, a canny bait and switch now, but at the time, yeah. he was just like a handsome up and coming actor. He was, he was no one. Yeah, he was, he he was, he was nobody. But he, he, but like it, at the time, it it felt like. You know, it, nothing. You were just like, who's this handsome dude? Now it feels kind of like an interesting bait and switch. Like, oh, is that Kirk? It's and like the it's, Drew Barry. It's like the Drew Barrymore in, uh, in Scream. Yeah, exactly. Is this, is this, our- except historic, a historical accident. Yes, but exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, he's even one of the Chris's. So you could get, you could see someone being confused. Like, I, well, I know Chris is one of the, is Kirk. So, <laughs> and none of them have like distinctive names. It's like Hemsworth. Doesn't sound more Australian than Pine or whatever, right? Um, no. Speaking of is that, that, Chris like, Kangaroo. No, I, I, I think. Oh, sorry. Did you have something before I go into? Fox I just Fox? wanted to. I just wanted to say a couple nice things about yeah. the movie. Generally, I love that the Wonder Shows and Kid is in it. Um, I do really love a lot of the uh, Kirk Spock dynamic. I it took me the longest person it took me to actually like in the movie. Is Zachary Quinto as as Spock? Yeah. I one thing I really like about Zachary Quinto's performance is that he doesn't have Leonard Nimoy's voice. He doesn't have the gravitas of a yeah. Leonard Nimoy. He has more of yeah. a nasally kind of nerdy voice because yeah. he's Zachary Quinto. He kind of sounds like an evil nerd, and he yeah. leans into that. Because he's a guy with a fucking chip on his shoulder. He's a guy who has something to prove in a very different way that than um, Kirk does. Um, yeah. Even though theoretically his life didn't change, right? Because yeah. why would that affect him at all? <laughs> why? I, mean, I don't know why he's he's kind of an angry, different person than himself. Because uh, yeah, not sure how Kirk's dad dying literally had any impact on his life i have no idea <laughs> um because he heard about it in the news he's, he's yeah. an empath and then he yelled he yelled at his mom and his dad and that changed the direction <laughs> um i really i really do like that i really like uh carl urban obviously as 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 bones i think that he does a really good job during that sequence where they need to make kirk um like his hands blow up or whatever. Yeah. Like they need to give him a serious. Yeah, he has reaction. a su- continued subsequent allergic reactions. <laughs> I think that's an interesting way to like smooth over a clever way to smooth over the whole the whole deal. Um, as opposed to, uh, well, we haven't shown you other candidates for captain, so you're captain now. <laughs> like, uh, I like I, I, I think that's there's some small character moment stuff that really works with me. This does unfortunately feel like a movie where I want to watch the cast hang out more, more than than yeah. watch the movie. However, Simon Pegg and um, Carl Urban are both in The Boys. Simon Pegg's sort of in The Boys. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't think they hang out much. Very different vibe. When those two are in scenes together. <laughs> yes. Or the one scene they're in together. Yes. Uh, yeah, so I I know I like... What's, what's interesting about covering it for this show, as opposed to like if we covered it for We Love to Watch, is that I'm really talking about it in relation to Star Trek. And I think as I've been more and more Star Trek, like I said, my thesis is this is the, this is, this is the movie that Star Trek needed in 2009. It is... As a Star Trek movie, not just kind of like not needed anymore, but also like 
it's it doesn't matter. It's been moved past by where Star Trek is today. So these three movies are kind of weird artifacts. Also, all of the all of the like magic tricks that J.J. Abrams was so good at doing have been revealed. Like no one wants to go see a magician anymore when you know how all the tricks work. It loses interest and like. That's J.J. Abrams in 2023, and when you know how all his tricks work, and you watch this movie, it is like a, like you said, embarrassing thing after embarrassing thing to tell this Star Trek movie that you don't care all that much about to theoretically a new group of people, but but just a list of constant references for the fans. That being said, I do enjoy this movie quite a bit as a movie. And as movies of like a cover, like I said, the I this movie isn't two stars for me. It's four, four and a half stars. But I don't like it as a Star Trek movie. I like it as a space adventure or a cover band of a band I like. And when I get to think about it like a Star Trek movie, it does make me annoyed. Doesn't make me as annoyed as Into Darkness will next week, which I think just fails on every possible level in the same way like i like force awakens just fine as a as an adventure movie and rise of skywalker literally makes me wish it didn't exist and i feel the same way about into darkness the good thing about these three movies is we're going to end with um, the best of the three movies as opposed to rise of skywalker being a big dud after literally the best star wars movie of all time the last but the one thing i do want to what, what's interesting about this is that and to kind of get to our Chris, the uh, Chris connection, is that my daughter loves my nine-year-old loves the Guardians of the Galaxy movie. I can't think of characters that were less iconic when the Guardians of the Galaxy came out than the Guardians of the Galaxy. I had no fucking idea who any of them were. I, I was not a comic book reader, but they were esoteric enough that I didn't know who any of these people are. I didn't know who the, and that is also a movie. That is introducing all of these characters that no one knows anything about. Groot, a raccoon, a guy, a green lady. Like all these things to an audience that doesn't know them. In the same way that they at least know the tentpoles of Captain America and Thor. And my, I think when my daughter saw it, she was seven. She loved the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. She loved the next two. And audiences around the world who had no idea who the fuck these people were prior to the movie, fell in love with those characters. And I see that as a contrast to this, which is like, hey, we know no one knows who these people are. We're going to introduce everyone. And they do it so good. By halfway through the movie, you know who every single person is. You know who Gamora is. You know who Star-Lord is as a character. You know who Groot is. You know who Drax is. Like, you know who these characters are as characters. And still quippy. And still fast-paced. And it's still an action adventure movie and as someone who recently revisited all the marvel movies that first guardians of the galaxy is not like a weird embarrassment while they got better it's a it's a really good movie it's, yeah you know uh it's it's great and then you watch this which i also watched with my daughter who was a little older that is supposedly an introduction to much more theoretically iconic characters and you don't know who any of these people are at all except by maybe cultural reputation. And if you don't have that, like my daughter didn't, this movie is impenetrable. <laughs> like, the, the, you know, in the way that this is supposed to introduce you to this character for a new audience, it fails miserably at that. My daughter could not follow any of this. I could show her Force Awakens and she would get 90% more out of it than she would get out of this movie, even with someone who is answering 
patiently every question that she has and realizing there's no way to, to square these circles. And so I think it's an interesting contrast of like as a Star Trek font fan, this is a very fun cover version with some really great casting that is going to end up with, I think, one really great movie at the end of it. And this is an enjoyable way to spend less than two hours. But as a reboot of Star Trek for new people or even just a good movie in its own right, it fails. And I think as we're talking about introducing you to Star Trek or to Star Trek through this show, Star Trek, this is like – this is bad Star Trek for you, Peter. Like, this is not something I would use to get you to be a Star Trek fan, even if it was at one point five years ago, your only touch point to the franchise. I consider me liking this less than I did in 2009 actually a success. Yeah. I think, I think that so. it means that I have gotten so attached to what Star Trek actually is now that when uh, I'm being poked and prodded to react, um, I'm being fed food pellets. <laughs> um, yeah. That uh, I don't have that reaction. The it doesn't work. Um, I think that this is actually this is actually a, a good thing that I don't like this movie as much. Um, yeah. Even though I, I almost never think of uh, not liking a movie very much as as a, as a positive thing, I yeah. think it's a good thing. Well, also, what's interesting for you too is like again the contrast in time is is very relevant. In two thousand nine, this was the Star Trek I needed. Twenty twenty three, you don't need this. You have a ton of Star Trek. Yeah both new and old that you could go to. So this kind of weird ignored cover version is completely superfluous for your journey. And even though we're going to round it out to cover all the movies, this is like, this is less relevant to you than if I showed you the pilot to enterprise deep space nine and, and Voyager, even in the relevance of like, you're going to keep watching star Trek because this, like I said, the thesis of these movies, I think, is interestingly enough, these just don't matter. And we're going to cover them anyways. And I hope you like the last one, but this isn't Star Trek anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. That's it. Next week, we're going to cover Into Darkness. <laughs> um, appropriately, going into the darkness. I, I, You know, I am, in some ways, I'm more excited to talk about that movie than I ultimately was to talk about this movie. Because I do have a lot to say. And it's not going to be necessarily a bunch of new ground, but I, I think as a way of like venting out some of the worst tendencies and like the movie's perplexing. I want to talk about the post reaction to a lot of the people that worked on it because it is also infuriating. And I think it just says to like, it, it's interesting when you have a movie that not only did everyone making it had the wrong ideas constantly throughout, they've learned nothing from it either. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I think that'll be a good uh, rage palate cleanser before ending on uh, uh, at least one positive note. At least uh, a maybe, couple maybe positive not. notes, I, th- yeah. I hope. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. All right. With that, we'll see you out there in fucking outer space, which is mostly based in Iowa. Good night. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch.
If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. Show, we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, we really do appreciate you uh, with kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. <laughs>